everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week we're bringing you a brief Super Bowl recap, followed by many of your questions about nutrition, hammer programming, swimming, movies, and much more. There are also plenty of inquiries about John's experience playing for the Chiefs and eating with Coach Andy Reid. And finally, someone figures out that John's been sniping programming progression names from the hit kids show, The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Finally, the commercial that stole the heart and breath of everyone at Power Athlete HQ. That's right, the trailer for the Fast and Furious 9 movie. Now you know why this episode is well over two hours. Here it is, episode 346. Power Athlete Nation. What's happening? This is Luke. This is Tex. Oh, did we already do this whole spiel? No, but we didn't talk about... Hot and sexy stuff coming out of Power Athlete HQ. Yet. Right? Um, we can keep this rolling, Callie. Keep this rolling. We're keeping it authentic here. This is how we do things. We, we plan them, and we intentionally make them seem like we're just kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, McQuilkin, when is the scheduled air date for this? Friday. This Friday. The 9th of February. That's not the right math. 7th. It's relevant. (laughs) All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's what's hot at Power Athlete HQ. Uh, One of our guys, as you know, well, maybe you don't know. So we've been, we've been pushing out, like working with programming and seminars and stuff for, shoot, over a decade. Like we're on 11th year. And, uh, but there's names that we see and have seen in our inbox for multiple, multiple years. And you just get to know them through like order confirmations, email inquiries, or you see them commenting on the training feeds, whether it's Field Strong, Lean Enable, Jack Street. Um, and you just kind of, we get to know these folks. And then maybe we see them at a seminar. And then maybe we see them on social media. And the names that have been around the longest, we just kind of recognize, right? And what happened two weeks ago, two and a half, maybe three weeks ago, is uh, our branding dude, Harry, Hepton Stahl, got a DM from a guy who said, who's a firefighter down in Victoria, Australia, and is like on the front lines battling these fires. And he said, hey, man, I want to do something. I want to raise some funds for my team, for my squad. I want to contribute. Would you mind helping me with the T-shirt design? Harry said yes, right? And we kind of let this thing fester, foster, fester. And uh, it took a couple weeks to get the design ironed out, but it got, you got some teasers on social media and people started to really ramp up interest. So then as our guy uh, is ready to launch, I, we've been through this basically McQuilkin with the Wade's army. We've been through it with the shop. I just had a couple questions. I want to make sure he knew what he was getting into because I'm expecting a few thousand orders. And he's like, oh, I was going to just print them on demand and ship them out of my garage. I'm like, whoa, homie. No. Listen, I know we're, we're probably overreaching, but how would you like a hand? How would you like a lift in this? We'll help you out. We got some infrastructure. We have some experience. Uh, you want us to co-sponsor this project with you? And he's like, yes, thank God. So it was good. Uh, but basically, here's what we're doing, people, is uh, we have a T-shirt design. We're running a T-shirt fundraiser. Uh, Harry, our branding guy, has created a pretty epic design uh, for the fire service down in Australia that is still battling. Like, um, I guess it's kind of spun out of our media cycle. But I've been in touch with Adam. He's like, no, man, it's as bad as ever. We can't get to cities. We need help. We need relief. Bad. 
And we're like, well, we're going to do it. So that's what we have just launched is a collaborative t-shirt campaign with a few different vendors who were trying to drive down shipping costs, maximize donations, but ultimately the Victorian brush fire appeal is where this is this donation is going to be going. And here's what we're doing is you get payments to families, immediate payments of almost 50,000 will be made to families of people who have tragically died. We're helping farmers. We're helping immediate support this. These people are doing it right. Like unanimously. So we're raising funds by selling t-shirts, epic t-shirts. And if you want to learn a little bit more about it, head to powerathletehq.com slash fire. F-I-R-E, to understand how we can help and support the Victorian uh, brush fires down in in Australia. Like, it's it's gnarly, man. And um, I'm working on spinning up a video, working on kind of so you can get to meet Adam and you can see what we're doing here and you can see the T-shirt. But if you know you're in and you know you want to help, uh, do it. It's going to be a pre-order setup, similar to if you've participated in our Wayne's Army T-shirt drive. Uh, and as soon as we hit certain quantity thresholds, we're just going to press play and they're going to get printed and shipped printed and shipped. So again, powerathletehq.com slash fire to help us help a fellow power athlete and his team who are on the front lines trying to rise from the ashes in Australia, man. So excited to help them out. And speaking of fire, we've got a great show today. It is hot. Hot, hot, hot. We are coming off of our one holiday at Power Athlete, Super Bowl Monday. That's correct. Yes, some Mondays, typical holidays we skip and come into work, but today mm-hmm. is our, we got a four-day week team. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Our, our, we looked at the federal holiday schedule and we're like, no, that one's nah, no, I don't want to. How about Super Bowl tra- Monday? Yeah, I'll trade, you, <laughs> I'll trade you two Mondays for Super Bowl Monday. Mm-hmm. It's like New Year's Day, then the day after New Year's Day. <laughs> but yeah, and we're speaking with friend of the podcast. And I believe he's got some football experience. That's right. And experience with the Chiefs. champion. And Andy Reid. The head coach. That's right. Said champ. John Wellborn A will not be joining us, but John Wellborn, founder, CEO, power athlete, 10-year NFL veteran, nine-year starter. Uh, what else do we got? 100 career starts, 10 playoff appearances. And three Super Bowl parties. Three Super Bowl parties. Oh, we get to do things. Oh, there's only like vendors. I mean, the Super Bowl's okay. We only get to go like Playboy party and Maxim Magazine party. Shut up, big guy. <laughs> you know what I've been doing on the Super Bowl for literally the last 15 years? Going to a house party, taking jello shots, eating chili, eating pork tacos. Like, that's it. On the big screen. On the big screen. <laughs> Hollering. And like, since I cut the cord too, it's like finding reliable streams. Oh my gosh. Like, oh, I had to go to the Maxim party with Tony Gonzalez. Oh. Well, we get into all the details <laughs> of, a, of a legendary career as well as That's a right. great game. Yes. Yeah. 100%. So let's do it, Tex. What do you say? Ready, ready. Go. Power Athlete Nation. What's happening? This is Luke. Tex. And on the other side of the screen, special guest, friend of the podcast, John Wellborn. John. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, the weirder part is you guys didn't let me into the podcast room and you made me go to a hotel. Yeah. Be the real special guest. That's right. So. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't want you in here while you know, Bobblehead John Wellborn was stealing the show, as he usually does in your absence. Well, that's Wellborn A. Wellborn A. That's correct. And yeah, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, you're listening to another episode of the premiere 
podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. <laughs> got him. Got him. You got to no, catch him when he's sipping his coffee. Yeah, Why? you didn't get me. <laughs> Why? What, what didn't you say? What do you mean? <laughs> he's a sharp one. Ladies and gentlemen, Berkeley educated. Um, we are, well, John's on the road as I guess you've mentioned on the podcast, right? That you got, you, you went underwent a little, little surgery to get that wing fixed. Right. Yeah. And now yeah, you're with no, the witch I, doctor. Yeah. So I, I had surgery, uh, December 12th on the shoulder. I had, uh, they thought I had a torn rotator cuff, torn infra and supraspinatus. And they went in, uh, to kind of clean it all up and reattach and found that they were just heavily frayed on the top and I actually still had attachment points. So they went and they cleaned that up, uh, got rid of a bunch of scar tissue, osteophytes, uh, shaved down um, the like the AC joint and the acromial, I think it's the acromial head. So they took about a centimeter off of that, which uh, I think is why my shoulder is aching. And I uh, just did a full clean out. And um, the problem is, is that I have developed from, I don't know, obviously all the junk in the shoulder, some capsulitis. So that's, uh, that's being... Like that's really the hard part of the rehab is, is uh, not necessarily the pain or, or the motion or anything, but it's just really that capsule super tight. So like, while I'm pretty good overhead uh, and in different positions, the internal external rotate or sorry, the external rotation is super limited because um, with the capsule being so tight, it kind of presses that humerus head forward and doesn't allow it to kind of drop into a good position. So just constant rehab, man, it's uh it's, it's been good, but, What's nice is that I came out of surgery the day after surgery, I had less pain and more range of motion than I had walking in. So every day I get more and more and it feels really good. And I'm just, uh, I'm super excited to like finally feel like my shoulder is like approaching a normal place opposed from this thing that I have to just manage. Well, see, I guess it's a scar from the job you paid played for 10 years, right? I mean, that is very true. You play with fire, you get burned, man. Yeah. And it happens. I mean, it's, um, you know, Hey man, to quote Tyler Durden, uh, don't, you know, nobody wants to die without scars. You know, the, uh, it's a receipt for what I did and, and, and also for the training, uh, that you guys find on the power athlete training programs. A lot of that stuff was tested on myself in the early days. And I realized that there was a very, very real balance between volume and intensity as we pushed both of those sides of the equation. And, um, I'll definitely say that, you know, being a durable individual and whatnot, but understanding that there is a very specific prescription for the training. And um, I think the only way that you kind of figure that out, at least for me, was to kind of push the bounds of volume and intensity and kind of continually to break the machine. And I've been fortunate in that, um, you know, I got some good people around me, like a Dr. Bueller and, and Tom and, you know, uh, Dr. Ants, who's the guy who did my shoulder surgery and Stedman and these guys to be able to fix me up and get me back out there. And and then be able to rehab and hopefully get back in the fight. So I'm pretty excited that, you know, cause as you guys know, my shoulder was super limiting. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, to the point where now I, I mean, I throw a football left-handed because I had no ability to throw a football anymore. Cause I just couldn't get my arm up into position. Mm-hmm. So what surgery you know. number was this, John? Uh, so two on my right shoulder, one on my left knee and then five on my right knee. So what's that? Eight, eight, yeah, eight surgeries. I guess you so. can consider yourself fortunate that, you know, you played in a time where you didn't have to face exemplars of defense like J.J. Watt 
who, I mean, who knows if you'd even walk away from the game <laughs> playing a guy like that. J.J. Watt. <laughs> Watt, the comedian? Oh, uh, how, how was his uh, Saturday Night Live gig? We saw a couple clips on YouTube, actually. I, I, there was one that I legitimately laughed out loud when, and you got to check it out. He does like Madden voiceovers for Madden 21. Mm-hmm. So they gave him some funny one-liners there, cause, but he was good at playing J.J. Watt. <laughs> but when they asked him to play like another character or, you know, one of the SNL deals, nah. Oh, really? I yeah. don't know. Oh, so, yeah. he, he, so he was good at playing himself as a character, but not yeah. necessarily good as, oh, that's interesting. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, like Peyton Manning, hilarious stepping into that oh, role, yeah. making fun oh, of yeah. himself. And then another athlete, I think would crush it is Blake Griffin, basketball player. And he does like the celebrity roasts. Yeah, no, I, I watched him on uh, on the celebrity roast, and he killed Nikki Glaser. So when Blazing. he, yeah, when he was in L.A. with the Clippers, he would go and stand up at the comedy store and befriended all these comedians. So on the side, he's just setting himself up for a future like celebrity career. Huh. So I'd like Man, to see he, him on SNL. He killed uh, that. I think it was the Alec Baldwin roast. Uh, he had some great one-liners that I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to write that down and use it." When he when he referred to that um, and that Nick, I think it's Glasser or Glazer or whatever, but she's that comedian who just uh, kind of the thin blonde girl. She kills people like like pulls out a sword and cuts their heads off. And uh, he he like he went right at her and like basically just kind of just eviscerated her. I mean, dude, and he called her. Uh, he's like, "Ah, oh, Nikki, you broken little climber." I was in tears. I was like, man, I'm going to wait to call somebody a broken little climber. It was, um, man. But yeah, no, he's, he's got pretty good delivery. And then the other guys, so like when he got done, uh, I forgot the name of the guy who's on SNL. Uh, it's kind of that, uh, uh, I forgot his name. But he gets up and he absolutely murdered Blake Griffin. He's like, he's like, why do you look like a rhinoceros who keeps looking at his horn? And he was like, oh, is that what it is? Is that what it is? Oh, dude. <laughs> So one night, I, I for some reason on Facebook, like when you see the videos, I somehow I, I got like stuck in the a wormhole, wormhole of yeah. watching the uh, the roast videos, and I was like kind of like getting ready for bed, and you know, kind of just like like sitting on the bed, just laughing hysterically. My wife's like, "What are you laughing at?" And then of course I like play it for her, and she doesn't think any of it's funny. No, She's that's like, a shame. It's not that funny. I'm like, no, this is this is hilarious, you know? Yeah. So the we were on quite a bit of YouTube. Just like Ruby would go to bed and buddies were in town. So we'd throw, and we were coming up uh, to a classic on just every 25 minutes. Shy Ronnie with Rihanna is like quite possibly one of the best all time skits. Like it's so hard to explain, John. When we get off, like you have yeah. to just Google Shy Ronnie. Uh, it's like a three part series and it's Adam Sandberg, right? Is that the dude's? Yeah, yeah. yeah and Rihanna yeah. Just, just smash it. Like I, th- I think it's hilarious, man. Yeah, she's uh, gorgeous to, in all of them. To to this day, uh, one of my favorite ones is the chat roulette uh, wrecking ball. Oh yeah, <laughs> like if like I might be having a bad day or like like uh, you know it feels a little doom and gloom or the sun's not shining and I need a little pick me up. I usually will watch that, mm-hmm. laugh, and go about my day with like a big smile. Like I don't know why. It's not necessarily the dude in uh, who's doing the deal. It's the look on people's faces in the chat roulette where they're like mm-hmm. you know and yeah, then there's like 10 dudes. Yeah. yeah oh yeah it's uh oh god it's yeah and then i have to remember that there's something really creepy out there like chat roulette and i'm like oh god 
like <laughs> like think about the dude trolling him and then like you like I, I just always put myself like hey i'm on you know sitting around a bunch of bros having a couple beers watching and that that pops up and then like all of a sudden some people are like mortified and then other people are like dancing and singing <laughs> with the guy which is what i really imagined we would be doing would be like this guy's not gonna outdoze go get a physio ball let's yeah, do right. this <laughs> <laughs> well, so we i hit, love it we hit some q a on okay. the feed should we talk more game or yeah was there any questions on the game yeah let's start let's start there so john wellborn andy reed first question we got a couple about andy and your experience with him what was andy's pre-game meal mm. um here's a weird thing about andy reed i never saw him eat in front of anybody huh. so sean mcdermott who was our quality control guy at the time who's now a head coach in the nfl when we were when uh, uh, fairly early in training camp, I remember Sean's job was to get Andy food, and he would bring up these like two massive trays just packed, and he would like set them at the door, and then he would like knock and run, and the door would just like kind of like creep open, and this big like bear paw would be like pull it in and then slam the door, and then it, it would sound like uh you know like <laughs> and then the the plates and like the knives and the forks and all the containers would get like thrown out in the hall and the door would slam then he would have to go collect it and we were like oh my god what's going on in there so we uh i never really saw andy eat and then uh friday or saturday night before the games after meetings we they always have a snack so we would always go sit there and i think runyon would eat like a big thing of pasta and maybe i'd have some like um, ice cream or i forgot what i would eat um but we would always just hang out and bullshit and part of the reason was Andy wouldn't eat until everybody was gone. So he would like sit there and be watching us and we would just kind of like outweigh him. And then finally he'd be like, are you guys going to leave? We're like, are you going to eat? He'd like, oh. <laughs> and he'd like get up and get something. But um, yeah, I, uh, I never really was around him to see the mass quantities of food that he consumes, but I've, I've heard the legend. But he's got to, like he has to. Yeah, he, he has, uh, he, he likes to eat. He always does. Like I remember the one big one, he'd always be like, ah, okay, let's go get a cheeseburger. So like the cheeseburger thing was when you hear people use it, but like he legitimately would be like, ah, how about some cheeseburgers or this? And it was, I, I don't know if it was just like, Hey, you know, like let's go get some beat. And the cheeseburger was just some beat or legitimately he was a big cheeseburger guy. But I know Bill Moss used to tell me when, oh, I can't remember how that worked, but uh, they used to run a football camp. And that Bill Moss used to run, and Bill played defensive line for the Chiefs. He used to run a football camp, and Andy used to come down and work it for him. And uh, he said, uh, and I remember when I when I went to or went to Kansas City, he's like, "Oh, how's Andy?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah, it's fine." He's like, "Man, he's like that dude." He goes, "I never saw anybody crush more pizza than that guy." He's like, he would handle two or three large pizzas himself. And I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Oh yeah, that guy could he he can eat some food now." And I'm like, "I never saw meat." And he's like, "Well, you know." But I mean, we've had clients like that, like closet eaters. What do you mean? Like, you remember the dude who came over and gave me his food log? And I'm like, dude, you're at 2,300 calories and you haven't lost a pound. Like, what's mm -hmm. going on here, you know? And I'm also thinking of like, <clears throat> I can't think of, in, of the, anyone in specific, but I don't know, you go, to, you go to a restaurant and they order like a side salad. Like, oh, I just have, I usually have salads when I come here. It's like, no, you don't, fat boy. Like, there's no way you're a salad eater when you go out alone. Like, you're not tricking me. You're not fooling me. Nobody likes a salad. 
I mean, I, like not even a lane like the big salad at, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, in um, Seinfeld. The best thing that's happened to me, man, is the salad smash where you just grab the salad. <laughs> Ashley will make, she refuses to contribute to that behavior. So she'll put it in a bowl. She'll be like, you want any dressing? I'm like, no, I'll put it on myself. And then I just grab out of the bowl and smash the, smash the salad into my mouth. Yeah. And then chase it sometimes with like a little shot of olive oil, a little bit of apple cider vinegar, just to kind of, you know, get some, some other nutrients in there. I, I um, was driving around looking for lunch yesterday and uh, happened upon some like, I don't know, like uh, Hawaiian barbecue. So I roll in there. I'm like, just give me a whole bunch of like chicken on the rice and some vegetables. And the lady's like, you want spicy sauce? I'm like, you put it on the side. You want teriyaki sauce? I'm like, no, I just want to plain. Put everything on the side. I'll take it on the side. So then, of course, it comes out and it's like covered in everything. And I'm like, and <laughs> there is sauce on the side. And like, I just kind of was like, ah, it's don't care. okay, I'll eat it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, ah, but I, man, he uh, um, Andy looks heavy. I uh, he definitely looked heavy. He, I mean, but he's always been a big dude. I mean, he played offensive line uh, in college. I mean, he's. I think he's had some pretty severe damage to his knees and uh, you know, he's got a ton of, you know, just very stressful jobs. So the way he copes is eating. I mean, it's better than, you know, popping pills and drinking booze. So, or maybe it's not, I guess I'm over a long enough period of it. Right. Like it ultimately drives that lifespan down regardless of which way you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, like uh, uh, Paul Carter had a great one. He posted uh, or in response to everybody being like, oh, my God, you know, J-Lo looks so great and Shakira looks so great. You know, they've aged so well. And then, of course, everybody's like, well, they have you know millions of dollars to be able to put towards this. And his comment was uh, um, sleep is free and exercise is free. So mm-hmm. what's the problem here? Like, and I guarantee they sleep. They probably eat pretty well and they probably exercise. Uh, you know, healthy relationships or maybe unhealthy relationships, who knows, but like for the most part, I mean, uh, you know, have, have those ladies probably had some work? Sure. But um, yeah, that, I just thought that was funny. It's sleep is free, exercise is free. But mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the life of the NFL coach, when people always ask me, like, oh, would you coach? I'm like, man, it's no. I mean, as much as I would probably enjoy it, um, just the lifestyle is not one that's conducive for health or success. Mm-hmm. Those guys put in like a uh, especially when we were at the Eagles, maybe not so much at the Chiefs, but I know at the Eagles, there was this like prevailing point of view by the coaching and the coaching staff that like, like how committed you were was how many nights a week you slept at the office. So these guys would like work 20 hours a day and then they had like cots in their office and they would sleep at the office three, four nights a week. And they'd have meetings and like, you know, three in the morning and this, and it was, I thought it was a big facade uh, trying to like prove who was the hardest worker instead of being like, well, I would much rather have you get six or eight hours of sleep and be more productive than hiding from your wife at the office and your families. And I think because those guys take that kind of approach, they end up having uh, a ton of problems within their family life. Like, you know, I mean, I, I knew Andy's boys and, you know, uh, one since killed himself, which is a, you know, no father should ever have to bury his own child. And, you know, losing a child is, um, unimaginable so i mean i can't even imagine the pain and anguish of that family but i knew those kids and uh i mean look at tony dungy's son i mean it's just um it's pretty sad when you think about those you know the, a lot of these coaches end up not having really positive relationships with their kids unless their kids work for them you know like bill belichick's son works for him uh 
you know, they keep those guys real close. So I just think uh, at the end of the day, you know, you get to the end, you win the Super Bowl and you hoist a trophy and realize that your family is not intact. I just don't know if, uh, if, if it would be as light, it would probably be a lot heavier to hoist. But, you know, I'm, I'm um, you know, for having a tumultuous relationship with Andy at the end and, you know, and that eventually resulted in my trade, I was extremely uh, happy for him and his family and really proud of the Chiefs organization. And I always liked uh, Lamar Hunt and his son, Clark, and, and I'm just always, you know, happy and always count Kansas City as a, not only um, a really fun place to play, but a really cool city in kind of a interesting kind of way. Yeah, legacy for them, right? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, you know, it's been 50 years since they went to a Super Bowl, never won one. I mean, what's crazy is uh, when you win the AFC, you get the Lamar Hunt trophy. And when they won, when they went to the Super Bowl, there was no Lamar Hunt trophy. <laughs> so kind of neat to be able to say they actually won the trophy that's named for your owner. So what else we got on the Super Bowl? <clears throat> well, sticking with pre-Super Bowl, I got two questions here. Number one, what was your favorite memory as a chief? Um, man, favorite memory as a chief. Hmm. Um, we scored five rushing touchdowns in one half, which was which had never been done before. So it was kind of cool with the with the Chiefs that there was a lot of things that we did offensively. Uh, that just had never been done before. I mean, I got to block for Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson in his prime and some really good players and play with Tony and those guys. So um, one of my favorite moments was uh, when I was playing right tackle for the Chiefs and we went up to New York to go play against the Giants. And uh, we ran a little outside stretch play uh, to the open side and I was on the short side. And, you know, Strahan was in like a wide nine and uh, I, you know, drop stepped and ran and ended up hooking him. And I got like a nice hold, like right on his face mask in his jersey. And uh, running back ran around the corner and he kind of like went out and I kind of threw him and we ran in for a touchdown. And I remember I'm like, man, I just one-on-one -on -one killed Michael Strahan on the short side of the field, you know, and for a touchdown. In, uh, and I thought that was pretty cool because it was all, you know, me all by myself. So it was if, uh, if I didn't beat him, he would have made the play and, you know, he was forced. So he had to keep contained and that was a, a pretty cool memory. And, and um, it's always nice to, to go out and play on the biggest stage against the biggest players and be successful. And I, that's really what I remember um, just, you know, and the relationships of playing with guys like Tony and Jason Dunn, uh, you know, Will Shields and Willie Rofe, and just being able to go out and play, you know, call teammates and, and not only play one game, but play, you know, dozens, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50 games with guys who were, considered to be the best in the league. And it was pretty, pretty cool to see the uh, top 100 players that the NFL selected. Uh, and when they came up to the offensive linemen, there was really nobody from the modern era. Like it was all, it was like Anthony Munoz and these guys that, you know, I remember when I was a little kid. So it was pretty interesting that like Willie Rope wasn't out there and Will Shields wasn't out there and uh, some other guys. So pretty, uh, pretty cool that, that there's some, you know, players of that caliber out there. You know, and I just, I, I was a, a little surprised that, and it was probably a PR deal. I mean, they had Tony out there for tight ends, but they had Gronk. And I'm like, man, Gronk's considered one of the top 100 players to ever play, huh? And uh, I, I like Gronk, and I think he's a good player, but I just, I mean, he won Super Bowls, but I just don't know if, 
the records that he has, you know, put him on that same deal, but just personality wise, he's one of the top hundred players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Injecting a little bit of new life into the league and having the personality of like party boy and bringing new fans, maybe. Yeah. He, um, he had a pretty interesting one where they asked him, you know, Hey, would you come back? And he's like, you know, I'm only, he's like what, 30 years old or maybe a little bit older. Uh, so he's still fairly young. And he was just saying, he's like, you know, I was so physically damaged in that last year that I dreaded coming every single day and I dreaded my life. And, you know, and, uh, he, I, I love that he refers to himself. He's kind of like a cartoon. He's like, uh, you know, sad gronk. And I'm like, if this is sad gronk, I'd hate to see happy gronk. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, like, I think that's, uh, um, you know, Vernon Davis retired, too. And he made the comment, I could have played six or seven more years if it wasn't for these concussions. And, you know, you saw the linebacker from Carolina and, you know, some of these guys who have gotten some pretty gnarly hits and some nasty concussions all of a sudden realize, like, I can't do this. You know, Andrew Luck, another one. So it's pretty amazing that these, you know, really successful, very good, young players that have the ability to probably, you know, if they play 10, 12, 14 years and really put a, a, an incredible body of work together, have a argument to be one of those top 100 players. Mm-hmm. And those guys are cutting a year, cutting it short. And I, and I, it's kind of funny to say cutting it short at six or seven, eight years, because that's a long career. But, you know, even for my 10 years, I, uh, I feel like I still have good years left in me that I could have played the game at a high level, if not for injury, you know, it wasn't necessarily within the head, but, you know, I hurt my knee and it just, when they went and they scoped it and then they had to go do a second surgery because the, because the first one was kind of botched. Uh, all of a sudden it had been a year by the time everything got kind of tapered out and it was better and my knee was ready to go. And at that point I'm looking at like, okay, so I missed my whole 10th year or I got hurt in my 10th. And all of a sudden now I'm like mid season, which would have been my 11th year and I'm starting to feel better. So then what, uh, then I, I rehab and train and then I go out, I've already been out a year. It just kind of, you know, I just kind of lost in the numbers crunch, but you know, for me, it was, it was kind of hard for the first couple of years because you're watching guys that were your backups and guys that were average players, all of a sudden, you know, become superstars and start playing at a high level or, you know, get a lot of accolades. And you're like, man, that guy was dog shit. So I think for me, it was, it was kind of tough to watch it for a bunch of years just because it didn't end the way that I wanted it to end. And nobody's, career ends the way they want unless you're Tony Gonzalez and you get to play 17 years and you're a first ballot hall of famer and then you get a job on TV and you know everybody talks about how wonderful you are uh you know I think Tony's probably one of the only guys or Peyton Manning who actually got to retire on their terms hey you know what you guys still want me I'm good I'm gonna do something else you know like that kind of deal and man I, I just don't know if many people get that for me I felt like I would have liked to have retired on my own uh you know like made that you know, Hey, I played at a high level and I'm, you know, I'm going to go do something else more so than like, you know, getting hurt and being like, shit, you know, now all of a sudden I'm 32 years old. And even though it doesn't sound old, uh, you know, you're thinking like, man, I got to come back from another knee injury. I'm good. So, Mm -hmm. and then obviously Kyle Turley's situation was also a big catalyst for me. Um, you know, Kyle got diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and was having a lot of problems. And as I'm talking to him on the phone, I'm like, Googling like how many starts he has and how long he played. And I realized that I had more starts and more plays and had been in the league longer than Kyle and being like, okay, uh, (laughs) maybe it's time to go do something and starting sharpening the blade in terms of, you know, um, you know, like, you know, skill acquisition and mental and learning and this, and that really 
if if I hadn't had that catalyst, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking today on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Priest John Priest Holmes is up for Hall of Fame, so he's one of the new candidates. Yeah, no, I I think um, probably one of the most explosive players I've ever been around, and one of the strangest dudes I've ever been around. Yeah, I, I forget the stat, but he's undrafted, so he would have been like the one percent of the one percent of the one percent undrafted to make it to the Hall of Fame if if it goes through. Yeah, he was, man, he, uh, he's the type of dude where we knew that if we could just keep people busy for a second, come off the ball, get him to step back, get him to flinch. If you hand that dude the ball, he was going to do something pretty amazing. He, he was extremely dynamic running back, super strong, super fit. And, uh, just, you know, and the guy played, he, he ran hard. He was a good player. So yeah, I'd be stoked if he got into the Hall of Fame. So, so this is a a personal question from me. I need you to describe Super Bowl weekend from an outsider's perspective. Like, what are the parties at as a player? Is there this <laughs> unwritten club that y'all just go to, or do you recognize is everyone else around you not six six and you just make eye contact with everyone above us normie heights? Like, what's the experience to go as a player? to go to a game so uh when when we played in the nfc championship games you have to book your tickets for the super bowl like you're going to go because if you wait on flights and this and so you're you get x amount of tickets and so you have friends and family and so you have to book all this stuff and you got to kind of pay the money expecting to win because if you win hey like instantly go into trap uh, or go into uh, game prep week and you know all the travel hoopla this so you got to like get all that stuff done ahead of time so we had tickets, we had hotels, everything for friends and family, and then you end up losing, and that stuff's non-refundable. So it's like, I guess we're going to the Super Bowl. So we would just go to the Super Bowl, and uh, I would go with Runyon, and uh, we had rented like a pretty cool house in La Jolla. We did it in Jacksonville and uh, New Orleans. Uh, I actually got a, a pretty bitchin' hotel room right on Bourbon Street with a balcony, which was cool. And we would, yeah, you go and. Um, the Super Bowl is super commercialized in that uh, every group or so let's say every company, every big sponsor of the Super Bowl has a specific party to attend. So we would get invites as NFL players uh, to these parties. Like uh, there was a Playboy party. There was a Maxim party. There was a Coca-Cola party. There was a Budweiser party, you know, Jack Daniels and this. And so we would just go to these kind of industry kind of big parties and what's cool is they give us tickets, but then they sell the tickets and they give them to their sponsors and their, you know, don't, you know, whoever. And so you show up to these things and they were usually free drinks and a really good time. And, uh, you know, you roll in and there's like a whole lot of dudes in suits. And then there's a whole bunch of six foot five big dudes and uh, people want to come over and you always are happy to talk to them whatnot. And uh, but for the most part, people kind of leave you alone. Uh, but it's kind of a neat experience because you get to kind of have a social uh, like a so social interactions with a lot of guys that you played against. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was always a lot of fun. I, I distinctly remember um, when I was pretty young, I think it was in Atlanta, we went to go to the Playboy party and I went with Tony and those guys. So, you know, thank God I got in. But I remember as they were like shuttling us in the door, Stuart Scott was outside and they wouldn't let him in. And I was like, we can't leave Booyah outside. <laughs> and we went outside and lobbied to get Stuart Scott in and they let him in. Thank God. And he was like, dude, I've been out there for like 20, 30 minutes. They weren't going to let me in. Thanks guys. And I was like, Ooh, yeah. You know? <laughs> so 
that was a cool moment but uh yeah it was it was good man we we always had a, a great opportunity i remember we were in san diego and uh i played with dave diaz infante who was you know like a like a you know he was i thought he was old at the time he was like in his mid-30s uh and had been kind of this hired gun like 14 year guy that they brought in to kind of mentor the young guys and uh i met him and mark schlereth and got to hang out with a bunch of those guys which was super cool because i remember those guys when i was a, like before i ever got to the nfl in college and before and so it was neat to not only sit in a limo but go have drinks with those guys and actually have them be complimentary and be like yeah man we've watched you play i, I really um, you know you played the game well and you know makes us happy to see good young guys so it was it was cool to go to things i mean i remember we were in san diego for super bowl I think it might have been, man, was that my third year? And, or I, I can't remember. We were in San Diego. And uh, we had a bunch of drinks with this young quarterback from Michigan uh, who was a buddy's a Runyon. <clears throat> and so we sat at the bar, at this bar and had a gang of drinks with Tom Brady. And this is while he was, you know, uh, it, this was in his second year after Bledsoe had gotten hurt. And he had come in. And so we were all sitting at the bar and having drinks. And he had, he had obviously played with Runyon at Michigan. So... I got to meet this young guy named Tom Brady. So that was cool. He was a super cool cat. You know, he's, I went to school with his sister at Berkeley. So we knew a lot of the same people and uh, just, you know, small world. So, and then, uh, and then I remember years later we were in Vegas and I ran into Tom and I was with Tony and a bunch of guys. And uh, I was like, man, do you remember? He's like, yeah, I remember dude. Like it was, uh, it was pretty funny in that at that point he had risen to like superstar status. I just thought it was pretty funny that, you know, hey, uh, Runyon's like, hey, um, come meet one of my college buddies. And, it, you know, so <laughs> because nobody ever really remembers Tom Brady from college because I don't even think he started. Yeah. Or, or he, up, he up and down. So started as a freshman, I believe. And then like money and then politic and for other players got in. But then they were losing and they put him back in to to close out his senior year and had just a memorable That's right. attitude just to go out winning. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah so, no, he's so yeah, no, it, it, it was cool, man. Like, I, I just remember going to all those industry parties, and uh, like, I think every Super Bowl should be in Miami or New Orleans. I mean, it's really the, the, the two best places, New Orleans specifically, because it's built for that. They have conventions every weekend, like, they have uh, like, like, you can bring the Super Bowl to New Orleans and you wouldn't even notice it. You bring a Super Bowl to like Tampa, Florida, shuts the entire, entire uh, uh, city down. And Miami's another great place because, you know, they, they have South Beach and here and they got clubs and they have nightlife and it's, you know, the weather's great. And uh, it's just, it's Miami, you know, yeah, you I go to South Beach. I heard some reporters discussing their experience on like with the, the radio week buildup. And when the Super Bowl was in New Orleans, basically you're a walk to the stadium. But then when they went up to Minneapolis, yeah, there was nothing to do but go to the Mall of America. <laughs> Yeah, just well, if there's nothing to do, you just go to a bar. And then the problem is, if you go to a bar at like noon, you know, you know, by like three o'clock, you're usually at home. At least I am. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm a terrible, like, uh, I'm going to give you, like, I'm kind of like a, a, you know, kind of a sprinter in that way. Whereas Luke Summers, like a marathon runner. We've yeah. been up for three days. You go at noon on a Thursday claws. and you just shut it down Sunday night. Yeah. It's just how it works. They're cracking. I'm an endurance athlete, John. Oh, so, you are. You, so, I mean, that's that's your talent. So hang on, then. So you got like obviously, I understand the the mechanics behind hitting in like the NFC AFC Championship game, and that being your ultimate ticket to the go watch the Super Bowl 
if you're not playing in it. But as teams who didn't even get into playoffs and being uh, like active players, was that like kind of a douchey thing to do or was it just like... No, like most of the guys, uh, there was always appearances. There was always something to do. And a lot of guys just want to go hang out and be around it. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, there was a lot of guys. I personally only went. So it wasn't when, frowned upon, though, or anything like no, that? No, 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 not at all. And there was a lot of, like, appearances and whatnot. I just, like, for, man, I was just kind of a little weird on it in that, um, uh, you know, we went for those, kind of, like, a bunch of years because we were obviously, you know, in the playoffs in these teams, so. But then, like towards the end, I just was like, oh, "I'm good." So we just, mm-hmm. I just figured, you know. Yeah, it lost its luster, right? You've got better yeah. stuff to do. You can think of better I, stuff to do. Yeah, I did it, and uh, it just—it's it, always a, a a lot of standing and waiting and pushing, and you know, here it's like you got to fly in, you got to go. It's just, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of got to the point where I'm like, I'm good. And uh, I've always said, man, I, I really enjoy watching the NFL on TV. I think uh, I like seeing baseball in person. I won't watch baseball on TV, but uh, I would much rather watch an NFL game on TV. I mean, mm-hmm. they have so many cameras, like the way their production and everything, the experience on TV is so much better than what you see in the stands. So, and I think as an active pl- or as a player standing out there and seeing the fans, like just beat the shit out of each other. I was like, man, I would never come to one of these games. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, I'd either get killed or get like hit with something. And I just, I'm good. Yeah. Unless you're sitting there listening to, um, Man, who used to worship, just worship Brett Favre on Monday Night Football to a point where it was, like, unbearable? Who's the commentator in that era? Uh, you well, know what I'm talking about? Ma- it it would have been Madden. Was I it Madden? Think, I think Matt, uh, Madden and Pat Summerall. Mm, yeah, I forget. It was but it, it, there was at least a season or two where, like, the, all the, the – Brett the Packers' defense would be on the field. They'd still be talking about Brett Favre. And it's just like you, you get those commentators who become these like worshiping some of these players and it becomes unbearable to watch where I just wish, you know, uh, when they had, oh, who's the comedian they brought into Monday night? Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like kind of a risk, but I thought that was really a cool personality to bring in. Like I yep. wish there, you could change uh, your audio tracks to different types of commentators and color commentary and play-by-play analysts and stuff like that. Well, that's where I got, like, um, my mom thought Gruden was the best. And I despise Gruden for the fact that, like, he couldn't get J.J. Watt's knob in his mouth enough. I love Gruden. Oh, he, he was, like, J.J. Watt's exactly, fanboy yeah. to where, like, I, I would, like, he wasn't even on the field, and they were talking about his influence on the offense. Yeah, well, like, he was, like, was, injured for three weeks. No, because uh, yeah, he was, was playing tight end and oh, catching. It was, it, it was unbelievable. I remember thinking, like, dude, Gruden is lobbying for this dude. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, so but some I, games, I, it'll, that'll ruin it for me watching, like, the TV experience, you know. Well, I, I thought it was cool that they still had active players in that top 100. I mean, Tom Brady was in there, um, uh, the receiver from uh, the Cardinals. Um, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yeah, he was out there. So it was neat that they actually had – current players not just you know guys that had come like to say that like hey you know i mean shit tom brady's the best to ever do the job mm-hmm. and what's amazing and i was laughing about this mahomes is a great quarterback he's 24 he's got like such a big future and he's already accomplished so much but like they already handed him tom tom brady's throne <laughs> like 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 it just makes you realize how uh how much people dislike the patriots 
and like, oh, this fucking Brady guy, let's get rid of him. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, you know, like it showed this, um, like I saw a cartoon and it was like Mahomes with like this, this King's crown and it showed like, um, uh, I think it was Tom Brady, it showed Peyton, uh, Aaron Rodgers and all these guys, other guys kind of sitting at the table and they were, you know, the cartoon was like, you know, uh, you know, there's a new, uh, the new King has been crowned. And I'm like, man, the guy's been in the league three years. He wins a Super Bowl. Incredible player. I'm not taking anything away from him. But I'm like, that dude has six Super Bowls and has played 20 years at the highest level. Yeah, like, at different I, different eras where you you know you didn't have this safety cushion around you as a quarterback well, as well. And also your receivers didn't have the safety cushion around them, yeah. which I like. Well, I understand why. I'm not discrediting it, but it's different. Well, the... the uh... I'll tell you this. Um, there, I saw multiple plays where Mahomes would yeah, go yeah. for the quarterback run. He'd be on the sideline, and you know, juke a guy. I'm like, man, if a quarterback ran out of the pocket on the sideline and he took a step vertical to like try to gain yards and didn't go out of bounds, he would be absolutely murdered. Yeah, yeah, because like, you're you have the angle. Wait, yeah. Oh, so, oh but dude, defenders uh, now are on their heels, and, dude, and even they um, murder people like uh, like they. So seeing how the NFL has, you know, gone out and protected the players and thrown flags and fine guys and really done this. Mm-hmm. I think what it's done is it's made the defense is very gun shy, especially around the quarterback. So now you have a guy like Mahomes who I'll tell you this, here's the one thing that I noticed about him that I have never seen on really anybody else. Um, his ability to change speeds, like he'll come out at like a pretty good clip and you think he's moving and then he finds another gear and, and then another gear mm-hmm. it's, and then all of a sudden slows down. Like his ability to change his cadence, to be able to run fast. You know, it's really, really pretty amazing to watch where you watch him rolling out and then all of a sudden he like hits it. And it's like, um, it reminds me of tech mobile where you could like hit the button and get the super burst. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's out there just doing tech mobile stuff. And I think the problem is that the, the defenses have kind of taken this well, and, and I, I don't know if it's even, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably contrived. I mean, these guys are like, shit, man, I'm getting fined. I I'm getting in trouble. We're getting big penalties. Like just don't fucking hit these guys. Like, yeah. you know, try to arm tackle them and they're out there. And I don't know if you can play that game gun shy like that, but, but, but here's the thing. Like you have a guy like Mahomes who's, you know, worth X amount of dollars and is this huge star or whatever. And some like middle linebacker comes and it just absolutely night trains that dude and puts him out and sends him to sleepy town. Um, all of a sudden the NFL has lost their biggest endorsement, like right. their biggest player and this and player safety and bitching in here. And it's like, yo man, um, you guys have heard me say that, you know, when I was a young dude in the NFL, I was told uh, by Tom Modrak, this is a violent game played by violent individuals who get paid a lot of money to do violence on behalf of rich white men. Mm-hmm. And, um, as I'm watching it, I'm thinking like, like these guys, and it, it's really turned into a very, very offensive centric league. I mean, it has been with like, you know, no hitting the receivers in this. Like if, Hey, if a dude came across the middle and he caught the ball and he was in a bad position, he was going to get laid out. Like mm-hmm. they just, they knew that was coming. And now it's this thing where, you know, these guys come across and, you know, like I was watching, um, uh, Kelsey, uh, who's the, the two tight ends, uh, for the Chiefs or the Chiefs and the Niners tight ends who are Kittle. really good players, yeah, Kittle, and they uh, they had a little roundtable with Tony and uh, and Gronk, I think, and I just remember thinking like these guys are great, but I can only imagine what mm-hmm. Tony's career and obviously he's the best I think to ever play the game in that at that position, but like Tony played in the blood and guts era right. and at that era, 
And like, I remember, you know, geez, after the new CBA was signed, I remember Tony called me. He's like, man, you got to come back. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I could do it, man. It's been too long. He's like, dude, we could have played 20 years in this game. He's like, we only put on pads three or four times during training camp. Um, like people don't hit the same, like it's, it's really like, like their coaching offensive linemen did not hit with their head. He's like, man, if we were just 10 years younger and we had gotten in young guys into this NFL, he's like, dude, we could have played 20, 20 years. He goes, I don't think these young guys could have played. I mean, we were in training camp for 42 days and we were, we would go uh, double days or so we went pads every single day uh, for 42 days. And then we would get like an after, then we'd be shells in the afternoon and then we'd have a special teams practice. So, I mean, we were legitimately, we're in the gun. And I mean, it was like 42 padded practices in training camp. That was Andy's first year. Now these guys don't go pads 42 times an entire year. You know, they go on, you know, maybe one day a week, they, they'll, they might strap it up early, but then they go shells and they play, put pads on Sunday and they only got four. I mean, so, I mean, we were in pads more in training camp my rookie year than most guys are even in, maybe ever get to see within training anymore. So it's, uh, it's just kind of a different deal. But, you know, I mean, you got to think the game has to evolve. It's about player safety. They're playing these guys such exorbitant amounts of money. They just don't want to see people get hurt in practice. And, you know, and then when you got guys committing suicide and, you know, uh, brains getting analyzed and here and, you know, it's just it's um, it's a, it's, a, it's a problem. And I think they just have to address it if they want to continue to have longevity and continue to weave themselves into the fabric of America. Yeah, I respect the, the initiative. Right. And I get it. But it is just different. You know, it's and it can be frustrating at times watching it live as as also totally acknowledging armchair like not even really a a um, like a huge fan of the NFL, but like I enjoy it. It's probably the most professional sport I enjoy the most. But it it's interest like it's it. What else? What are you gonna do? What else are you gonna do? Right? Like you got to protect these dudes, like you said, John. Yeah. There's yeah, no. I mean, you, you have too much. There's too much money invested mm -hmm. at this point. Like I think when guys are making a couple hundred grand now, everybody, you know, guys are making average players are, are, you know, making huge, like, like I, I was looking at some, some guys, some young guys signed some huge contracts. I'm like, man, that, I mean, mm -hmm. like, so it, it, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm stoked to see the money. I'm just sad that I'm not 10 years younger. Cause like, you know, mm -hmm. be able to play in it, but you know, you play the cards that you're dealt at the time at which you dealt them. And then, you know, you do the game. Soldier on. And then you got to, yeah, you got to keep putting your shoulder against the wind and soldier on and keep moving and doing something else. And, um, you know, I don't know if, uh, if what we do here at power athlete, you know, would have had the same authenticity if I hadn't have done that job in the, in the way sure. in which I did it, you know, and I think I, the reason that people resonate with not only the training programs and all the stuff that we put out is because it's, it's authentic. Like, um, you know, like, like there's no bullshit. I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I did to play at the highest level. And, um, you know, and then also really having some great influences and some really sharp people uh, around us. And, you know, and then also being able to, you know, rinse and repeat and test and put these programs in place so that we really just, I think, create the, the best training experience on the planet. What do we got, Tex? Any other questions now that we've talked training a little bit? Great segue, John. Thank you. Okay. That's why you're such a valued friend of the podcast. <laughs> We are going to start with, we got a lot of Jack Street questions. So we're going to volley some Jack Street with some other programs, but this is our leadoff because it combines both of our Jack Street strength and conditioning program as well as our leaning protocol. Mm. 
<clears throat> this is from Dan. Dan Van, not kidding. Is it wise Damn to it. is it wise to keep living on Jack Street while doing and hitting the leaning protocol? Maybe switch to grindstone? Love the programming. No, I, I think you can do something like Jack Street in a caloric deficit. Um, you know, what's what's I think is a really strange misconception, and I'm just gonna use bodybuilding for an example, because I think bodybuilders have figured out how to create the the largest, most muscular athlete and I'm not even going to call them athletes, just people uh, with the lowest amount of body fat. So just for like purely from an aesthetics, I think bodybuilding um, and anybody who says that it's not is I think a crazy person. But um, if you look at bodybuilders, they don't change their training. All they do is they adjust their diets and their caloric intake and they cycle macros and they, you know, they add in maybe more, you know, aerobic type work at certain parts of the season uh, to get in shape, but they still continue to follow the same programs. I think what they do is they just use the, you know, maybe, uh, you know, not only food, but, you know, total caloric load and macros. I mean, the one thing that's universal is usually protein is always high. So I saw a guy the other day make some, uh, you know, some comments about, you know, hey, you got to drop protein down, which is the exact opposite. As you get into caloric deficit, you want your protein to actually creep up a little bit higher. And I remember reading research and like, here was a, as you guys know, like we over, I tend to overcomplicate things and then I'll read something that's extremely simplistic. That'll kind of like, you know, pop my head, kind of like the fastest people like Charlie Francis, right? Uh, the fastest people in the world run the fastest in training. And the only way you, you get faster is by running fast. Um, the one was if you eat in a caloric deficit with protein met, uh, or with high enough protein levels, like more than adequate amounts, in a caloric deficit, you will never lose an ounce of muscle and any weight you'll ever lose is always fat. And I remember like, you know, that, that piece was extremely impactful for the fact that protein is by far not only the most satiating, but has the most relationship to body composition. It's very hard to put on an inordinate amount of muscle on a low protein diet. And, um, you know, if I'm going to err on the side, I'd rather eat too much protein. Um, it's got a more thermogenic effect. And, you know, how you kind of cycle your carbs and your fats is really based on not only tolerance, but taste and, you know, how many, you know, calories and how you're trying to get in the caloric deficit. And I think it's pretty interesting where if you look at guys in caloric deficit, they tend to drop the fat because fat's extremely calorically dense so they can eat more food. So they feel full, but they know that, you know, they can increase the volume of food uh, by eating a lower fat, higher carb, higher protein diet. Whereas if you're trying to smash a lot of calories, it really helps to up your fat because you don't have to consume as much food. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of a little bit of sliding scale. So if you're following the leaning protocol, continue to do it. Now you have to be realistic to yourself and say, okay, am I going to make the same strength gains? Am I going to, you know, make yeah, the like, same is the training gonna, Is it going to feel the same? Well, I mean, but you're underfed. So, right. uh, you know, all you have to do is just make a mental deal with yourself and be like, I'm going to look more jacked because I'm going to have, I'm going to be lighter and less body fat, but I'm maybe not going to be overall as strong. I, I think what's really, and I've noticed this for me, um, some of the, the lightest I've been or like, you know, obviously body fat gets real low. So the, the scale on the, um, the scale is lighter, but yet in appearance, you appear much bigger. And I always thought that was pretty neat that, um, you know, you can see somebody who, you know, Hey, this guy might weigh 20 or 30 pounds more than me, but because I'm leaner and in better shape, I look bigger than this guy. Mm -hmm. Or 
you know, then you also run into something like kind of like our intern who weighs, you know, 290 some pounds. And, you know, I was, you know, he's only, I think he's what a few inches shorter than me, but you know, maybe 10, 12, 15 pounds lighter than me or heavier than me and looks way bigger than me. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's just kind of a interesting phenomenon. So I would recommend don't change the training, keep smashing it, follow the leaning protocol. And I think you'll be very happy with the results. Yeah. And just, but when, so is it, is it added stress when you start uh that's decent overhead pose, overhand pose. Is it, uh, is it added stress to the system, John, when you're, when you're in a caloric deficit? Good question. Uh, like, what do you mean stress? Like, um, uh, like, just, like metabolic you, stress? It, yeah. Like is there cortisol? a stress response? Yeah. Is there, is there a stress response when you're, you're in a caloric deficit? Um, I would think that, uh, if you're slightly underfed in a, in a hard training environment, I think that there might be some cortisol, you might have some more kind of stress hormones, Mm -hmm. but if, um, the thing which is really fascinating when we look at blood work and you look at like health and, and, uh, whenever you see these studies and like, you can kind of look at the fasting studies on this because it's really pretty fascinating. Uh, I talked about this at, at the NSCA talk on metabolic flexibility that, uh, they'll put these fasting studies together and these guys will fast, they'll lose like 20 pounds and they'll go from having uh, like a relatively unhealthy blood work and fasting blood glucose and these other factors. And then they lose the 20 pounds from the fasting and all of a sudden their blood work looks dramatically better. And they've gone from like metabolically inflexible to metabolically flexible and they're healthy and it's great. And what do they say? The fasting right. is what right. did all this for me. When I don't really believe it's the fasting, I think it's just the caloric restriction and however you get there. And it's actually the effect of losing the weight Mm -hmm. that provides the response. And so it's kind of something where like, oh, no, this fasting would be great. Well, no, because they also have studies where they've had people fast, set amount of calories, and then they've had the same individuals eat the set amount of calories over longer periods of time. And as long as they're in caloric deficit and they're losing weight, everything looks good. Mm -hmm. So... um, I think it's pretty interesting when you look at people dieting and uh, training that, you know, sometimes things improve with a little less food. Now, yeah. and is, well, is that, is, is that going to be optimal for muscle growth? Like you, like we have seen people put on muscle and lose fat at the same time in a caloric deficit. I mm-hmm. mean, I've done it, mm-hmm. but it becomes extremely expensive because the protein requirements have to go up and I'll click them from like a pound to a pound and a half, mm-hmm. a pound and, you know, 0.8 and I'll all of a sudden ramp up you know, protein to, you know, 300 and, you know, 75, 450 grams of protein. <clears throat> and it's really the only way that I can do it. But then the problem is, is if you're trying to get in a caloric deficit with that much protein, you got to really cut your fat down because you still got to get some carbs. At least I do. So now all of a sudden it looks like, okay, Hey, I'm gonna eat hundred grams of carbs and I'm gonna eat like 75 grams of fat to try to get all this protein. Mm-hmm. And then eating 75 grams of fat, I'm like, Whew, okay, I can eat, I can eat ground beef or like, you know, maybe 20 ounces of ground beef or a steak or whatever, but then the rest has to be white fish and chicken and just to be able to play into the backside of the macros. And then, you know, obviously you never want to consume more than about, you know, I, I think about a quarter of your total calories or sorry, of your total protein from a liquid source. Mm-hmm. So then maybe, you know, that looks like, you know, maybe two fifty gram shakes or three gram, you know, three fifty gram shakes, one mm-hmm. before training, one at lunch, and then one after. So you can supplement in different ways. But John, one thing that we do get a lot with the leaning protocol, because I don't know, man, you've been doing this literally for two, three decades. 
is when people come into leaning protocol, they also have sticker shock on how much they're expected to eat or maybe how much and when, because really the, if people are like listening and hearing you talk about fasting, there's, there's no fasting in the leaning protocol, right? It's about, it's about timing, uh, some macronutrient goals around your training and throughout the day and giving you a plan that you could pair it, like drop into my fitness pal and, and thrive. So maybe Dan Van isn't the right guy because some, I'll tell you, man, it's probably a coin toss when we talk to people that we put on leaning and they're like, I've never eaten over 3,200 calories. Well, the, you know what I mean? And they're like 220 pound dudes. Well, the man, here's something really interesting. Um, you know, if you look at like your basal metabolic rate and like, let's say, you know, you're anywhere from like, let's say eight to 10 calories per pound of body weight on your, ba- on your uh, basal metabolic rate, right. BMR, um, to get into a caloric deficit, the only way you really know if you're in a caloric deficit, all, all the equations in the world aren't going to help you. If you, let's say, uh, I weigh 250 pounds and I'm sitting at 10 calories and I'm at 2,500 calories and all of a sudden I eat 2,500 calories and I haven't lost a pound. And all of a sudden I like eat that and I'm super dialed and I'm getting my sleep, the training, everything else. I'm, I'm eliminating the other variables and I get to the end of the week and I haven't lost any weight. You're like, okay, maybe it's stalled. I'm going to eat the same. And then at the end of the next week, you haven't lost any weight you're not in a caloric deficit. And then what we have to do is we have to start kind of pulling calories until we can get the body to start losing weight. And, or uh, ramp up training, right? Or, or increase. So I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of pulling calories as much as I am adding work. So I would rather eat more and train harder than eat less and train lighter. So mm-hmm. like, what I think what we're trying to do, and especially with the leaning protocol, is we're not just trying to starve you into it. We're trying to get you to eat enough protein, but expecting you to be burning the candle on the other end, following, you know, Jack Street metabolic conditioning cycles or the PMAC or you know Field Strong or you know Hammer or these other programs where people are doing. Uh, you are lifting heavy weights four days a week. You are running. You're conditioning. You are doing aerobic work. You are doing a complete, you know, uh, you know, mid to advanced level form of strength and conditioning, one that's, you know, both driving adaptation, both, you know, within hypertrophy, but also developing certain central nervous system efficiency. So I think most people, uh, the one thing I've noticed is uh, people tend to over underestimate the amount of calories they've eaten. How many calories you've had? I don't know, like 2000 when they've eaten five. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people tend to overestimate the amount of work that they've done in the weight room. I was in the weight room for two hours. Yeah, you worked out for 20 minutes of it because you were fucking around on your phone the whole time. That's why when people are like, oh, I've been lifting weights for years. I'm like, have you consistently put a heavy barbell on your back over 85% for, for a couple weeks on that? So, um, and this is, I mean, man, we used to do so much private coaching and so much one-on-one offline stuff that just the observation that I continuously always made is people overestimate how hard they're working and they underestimate their calories. But the minute that people all of a sudden fine tune it and they start, you know, tracking their calories and they know how many I'm eating and they're, they're sticking to it. They're not like, well, I'm not going to count that spoonful of, you know, almond butter and this and these, you know, they just are actually dialed into it. And they're legitimately following the training as it's written. All of a sudden people start making game, uh, uh, start putting themselves into the place that they want to be. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of reviews to support this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What else we got? We're going to jump to a hammer question. So before we get to it, John, you got a quick synopsis on what our hammer training program is. Yeah, the hammer is the holistic athlete movement readiness program. 
uh, it's the strength and conditioning program we're using for our tactical warfighters. Um, you know, the dudes that, you know, carry something heavy, kick in doors, uh, you know, go long, go hard, go fast. And uh, really just for the warfighters around the world, <clears throat> it stems from not only the work that we did with the U.S. military, um, but also, you know, working with Naval Special Warfare and the 18th Airborne Corps and, you know, the 101st and the 82nd mm-hmm. and these other groups within the military that we were, you know, fortunate to have worked with for many years, uh, developed a comprehensive training program that we were using with them. And uh, we decided to finally launch it after, you know, people asked for it for a long time uh, called the Hammer Program. And this is and, also for, you know, our firefighters, LEOs, yeah. dudes is probably the one of depending on who you are and like what your limiting factors are, but is probably the most appropriate for that population as well. And that leads us to our question. Mike Raj, 94 of the FDNY is inquiring how much explosive exercises are involved in the hammer. This is our number one need for the first responder community. So he's Uh, curious. Every day. (laughs) Every day. Uh, do you remember how do we used to break that down, John? Right, every day's full body includes violent hip extension, seven to twelve minutes of high heart rate work, and so what? Uh, all what, what I do primals. is um, there's something you know there's uh, like the the program is really kind of interesting in nature, and in that we do. Um, uh, I went back and kind of looked at a bunch of the training that I did early in my NFL career, and even a little bit later, and the idea of like overcoming movements and speed. So I mean, we use a ton of uh, med ball work. Um, so there's a ton of, you know, and I use a lot of, uh, post action, post activation potentiation kind of French, Frenchy contrast, you could call it. Um, I use a ton of that stuff. So there'll be something heavy followed by something dynamic. Uh, we're always looking at fatiguing neuromuscular pathways and then finding dynamic ways to do it. So like, Hey, if you're going to do something heavy, you're going to jump. And so there's a lot of, uh, pairing up of like heavier movements with dynamic movements and a lot of rotation. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, using the uh, the landmine attachment for a lot of that stuff. And mind you, uh, when I hurt my shoulder and I couldn't do as much, um, you know, dynamic pulling and Olympic lifting, I started using the landmine for some rotational cleans and some different things with thrusters and just started kind of really biasing, obviously, because I couldn't put my my right arm. And as I was messing with all that stuff, I'm like, fuck, man, I got to write this stuff down and use it a little bit more in some of the other training programs. So I've been using a lot in hammer. And then the way the running breaks up, uh, we obviously have like one max effort sprint days on Monday. So you'll do some max effort sprints and we usually come in and do some form of X, Y, or Z axis, lower body on that. And then Wednesdays uh, really is just more like what I call like our, our easy effort runs where I'll kind of put some varying distance in there or anywhere from, you know, 800 to 200 meters. And there'll be some repeats and that stuff just to kind of get you guys out and get you warmed up. And then we come back and do a ton of trunk work. And then I usually finish it up with some tempo sprints. I really love the, um, with the pairing of doing some like a little bit longer, easy effort runs, doing 20 minutes of trunk work rotation and just really moving and then putting somebody out, giving them five to 10 minutes to recover and then asking them to do some sub 75% striders in some varying distances. Uh, they come in, they're going to bang again on Thursday and then Friday is our longer run. And that's kind of done at some varying paces. I kind of been cycling through some different intensities, but at the end of the day, the intensity I'm really looking for is the one at which you're going to run your PT test. Um, if you need to go out and hammer, you got to go out and run hard. Uh, I'd like to see that. So that would be what I would call more of our, like our testing marathon type pace. Now it's not like that every week and we kind of cycle through it a little bit, but for the most part, I want people to go out and be like, Hey, 
we got a pretty good warm up. We got some prep work. We did a little bit of step squat and lunge, um, a bunch of trunk work. And now I need you to go and, you know, crank it up and try to run and, and smoke it. And then we come in on Saturdays and I usually have some form of mashup, just, you know, a little bit of um, full body, a little bit of rotation step. And, you know, I, I really like doing a lot of unilateral movements uh, in hammer. Um, and the being is, or, and the reason is, is when I looked at a lot of the mission requirements, especially for the guys at Naval Special Warfare, um, there was, you know, something where, hey, I got something heavy in one hand and, or, you know, and I got to be able to move and climb and do stuff. So I like the idea of, of uh, doing a lot of unilateral movements, um, you know, with one arm kettlebell stuff, one arm dumbbell stuff, and just really just focusing and kind of breaking it up into, into pieces instead of always being like bilateral, bilateral. So it's been good. I, uh, I really enjoy the, like, I really like, uh, the program. It, uh, it has some really neat nuances and some really cool stuff that, uh, I'm really excited to kind of put out there and see how people progress on it. And my suspicion would be because this tends to be from just some user feedback on other programs that during sprint time is that there's probably as if you're following hammer and you need to put a, like a huge emphasis on sprinting. And I would say that if you find yourself on the max effort sprint day, not feeling torched or you're like, Oh, that was too easy. Then you need to really focus on your sprinting and this, especially like the tempo stuff and working on your technique over each one of those strides. Think of it as like maybe, maybe like pulling, I don't know, maybe people focus and really want to dial in their snatch, right? Like an Olympic lift and really Olympic lifts don't have a really high training response. If you don't have the proper mechanics, Right. It's only sure. once you connect the dots and you can hit that violent hip extension on a load that is enough to tap into that higher firing order motor unit that you start to get the neurological response from an Olympic lift and then you get better at it. Right. It's the same thing with sprinting. And you've got to be mindful of that. And I know a lot of our dudes and chicks on our programs are like 80 percent of them are kind of garage gymmers or they just are kind of mercenary people who don't train in they're lone wolves. So call them Ronin. Ronin, the Ronin warriors. The Ronin. So uh, I guess that's just a piece of advice to any of our hammer or man, field strong specifically. I, you would hope that field strongers know they need they the need X factor. Yeah, is the sprinting right? Well, um, the, yeah. Um, I mean, the uh, when we presented for naval special warfare at the seminar we did out in Virginia Beach, um, you know, I, I and I would. I would, I'd be bastardizing it cause I'd have to pull it up, but we found a pretty interesting piece of research that related, um, body fat and, and muscle mass to speed. And that, uh, the faster you are, the less body fat and the more muscle you have to carry to be able to handle that. And when they looked at like Olympic sprinters, it's usually the leanest dude is the guy that wins the gold medal and that there's a direct relationship between like body weight to muscle in terms of sprinting. And they found that you know, uh, programs are that involved sprinting tended people tended to carry more muscle because the requirement of sprinting is something that's extremely, uh, demanding for, for, for most athletes. And it, it's really hard to do it. If you're, you know, if you're fat and heavy, yeah, this, uh, and this unless, is, yeah. uh, but, but in, in the NFL, the people are like, Oh, well, how are these big, big dudes so fast? And I'm like, well, they're 350 pounds, but they have like 275 pounds of muscle. Mm -hmm. Like the, like, like what you guys are seeing is that excess layer of body fat that it provides. But like at the end of the day, these guys are super strong. Like there's very few guys out there who are, you know, 35% body fat running a sub four, 
you know, a five second flat 40. It just, it just doesn't equate to that. Um, so the guys that you see that are really big and strong are very, very dense and, you know, carry a high amount of muscle mass just because you need that to be able to not only uh, be able to absorb the, you know, the impacts, eccentric loads, but also, you know, all the other things. So it just, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, it's con- like- that, that conversation became so huge because of the, in the injury profile rate. And we, you know, we look at all the injury profiles and it's like, Oh, this is from submaximal rucking and marching. Like, uh, and then slow five mile, 10 mile, 20 mile runs with 60, 40 pounds on you. Like that's why you're getting hurt. Cause and no one is sprinting here. You want to yeah. solve your problem. U S army stop doing everyday long distance runs, uh, long, slow distance, start sprinting two to three times a week. Yeah. And you're going it, to, it's just going to fix it. And we tried to sell them that narrative and they fought us on no, it. Because, that's oh, impossible. Why? Right. Because, uh, turkeys don't want to sprint. They're big, <laughs> they're, they're big butted birds. that like to walk around and make a lot of noise. And the one thing they don't like to do is sprint. Yeah. So the problem is, is when you get a, you know, when you're trying to get a bunch of turkeys into a situation where they're going out and sprinting, they're going to squawk a lot and cause a lot of noise. That's right, man. Uh, but I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you this, like they put a ton of time and money into this new PT test for the army. Uh, the AFC, AFCT, is that ACFT. It? Yeah, ACFT. Um, when they probably could have fixed it if they had just added pull-ups and some form of sprinting in it. Right, right. Like, that's it. <laughs> Like, hey, like if they had like a beep test or if you had to run uh, 10 half gassers, you know, on the minute for 10 minutes in a sub time with like, uh, like, you know, minimum of seven dead hang pull ups. Like if somebody went out and did that sprinting in seven dead, like it would have fixed everything. They wouldn't have to buy trap bars. They wouldn't have to do anything. You're like, hey, uh, do your push ups, have them do pull ups and then have them do some sprints. And they could have done that anywhere. And they wouldn't have had to spend all this money. But what they did is they knew that that was too telling. Uh, and so what they did is they came up with this overly complex solution when, man, uh, you don't see fat Marines because Marines always have to do pull-ups. And even when you see uh, old Marines, which is my favorite, I love like seeing dudes that are like, uh, you know, older retired Marines because they still identify as Marines, but they're always usually pretty fit. You know why? Because they still do pull-ups and they run. Like the Marines, like, you know, they do pull-ups and they, and they got to run. Mm-hmm. So I think it fixes a lot of stuff. Quick, one quick hammer add-on. Gentlemen, Jay Crowder, where would you recommend adding swimming when following hammer? Swim sessions are needed due to my job demands. Uh, you can, you can use the, uh, use, you can put swimming into any, you can sub swimming for any of the, of, of the like the longer run days. So like, for example, if uh, you needed to be like, if you're more uh, water oriented, like instead of going out and doing, you know, six to 10, you know, uh, shorter sprints, I would probably put some like 25 meter sprints uh, in the pool. Give me, you know, 10 by 25 meters, max effort type stuff. And then on the, uh, on the trunk day, you could probably put some like, you know, longer duration swims in, mix in the trunk work. And then on the, uh, on the Friday, when we usually go for a longish run, you could put just a longer swim in. So I think that, um, the actual, it's not movement specific is more as it's distance and, um, you know, volume specific. So you can sub that stuff for anything. If you wanted to get on the rower, you know, we have people like, uh, um, there was a whole hoopla where guys, you know, cause I was putting some subs in cause obviously, you know, inclement weather, uh, people were asking, Hey, what's the sub for this? Cause I can't go outside. Like one dude's like, it's negative 51 degrees outside. 
I'm not going out and running. What should I do? So I threw some stuff out there and like, well, how come you're not doing, you know, the assault bike sprints aren't in the same time domains as the runs. And my comment is like, do you believe that sprinting on the assault bike is the same as sprinting on land? And they were like, you know, didn't answer that. And they were like, well, I don't understand. I'm like, well, dude, at the end of the day, there's no way for me to replicate running. Just like there's no way for me to replicate swimming. Like all the assault biking in yeah, the world, all the that, roaming. That is true, John. I mean, yeah. I mean, to be able to not only move through the water, have a good pace, a good cadence, how to be efficient, how to kick, Stay how alive. to glide through the water and be able to, uh, you know, pull your body through this, you know, the watery resistance. Like it's very, very difficult to to replicate that. And I also think what's neat with the run, um, and I remember seeing this with, with Michael um, um, Phelps, that he was eating some like 12,000 calories a day. And people were like, how is he eating this many calories? Well, think about our bodies are, you know, 98.2 degrees. Now all of a sudden you put somebody in a pool of 78, 75 degrees, and you ask them to swim six hours a day. So the amount of work that their body is doing to try to keep their core temperature up it speeds up their their metabolism and their metabolic rate like you know orders of magnitude greater so uh i think that there are some very real benefits for people that are hey you know what i can't run i gotta you know i want to lean out i want to do this i think if you can swim you're not only getting the you know the effect of not only swimming for the aerobic type work or even some sprint work for some anaerobic but there's also uh your body having to fight but you know getting in the pool for 10 minutes isn't really going to do that. But when you look at Michael Phelps, who was doing, you know, three, two hour training sessions a day, I mean, his time in the pool allowed him to, it you know, added up. to eat that many calories. I guarantee he gets out of the pool and he's retired now, doesn't swim as much. He doesn't eat nearly as many calories as he used to because he's just not doing the volume work. All right. We got a question for the 40 plus athlete, John. <clears throat> awesome. I love it. Thoughts on chiropractors, massage, needling, red light therapy, basically any recovery tools that could be beneficial for the 40-year-old power athlete. Yeah, I really, let's start. I, I really like the uh, infrared saunas. Um, you guys know I have one out on the deck and uh, I try to get in it. If I could get in it every day, I would. Uh, minimum three days a week. I really like the infrared saunas. Uh, I've done dry needling. Um, they, the guy dry needles the shit out of my shoulder and uh, I don't really notice an effect from it as much, but that doesn't mean that, that he doesn't do it. Um, uh, massage, I'm kind of hit or miss on. Uh, last time I got a massage, I felt so beat up from the massage, I just didn't want to get one. So I tend to feel worse after a massage, and so I just don't really get them anymore. When I played, uh, I would tend to get like my legs worked on um, and just maybe my hands or my biceps or whatever, but like a ton of back stuff, not really. Um, uh, what else? Um, I, I definitely like the occlusion uh, on recovery days. I like the idea of getting blood to pool and increasing elasticity of the artery walls. I think that's great for recovery. Uh, I really, you know, I'm, uh, uh, you know, drink the hell out of Rob Wolf's uh, element. You know, I think that the salt intake has been a major key factor. Um, what else? Uh, as you guys know, I'm in Salt Lake City this, you know, for the next few days seeing Dr. Bueller. And I'm a huge believer in Dr. Bueller and his Amit deal for not only injuries, but helping me kind of overcome some of that stuff. Amit, sorry, not Amit, Amit. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, how much of this though, John? Like, I'm suspecting here's why this guy's asking that he's feeling beat down from training, uh, beat down from training and knowing 
our question asker here. He is on his feet all day through a law enforcement mm-hmm. style job. Okay. So like, yeah, it's so tough it, to birth the candle. It's tough to yeah. the candle at both ends. So th- does this become like maybe a recalibration for, uh, I, I'm not going to say over 40 crowd because the rocks over 40 and that's what I intend to look like when I turn over 40. Yeah. Um, when, looks, when are you going to get looks started? Amazing. <laughs> I'll, I'll start. I'll start tomorrow, <laughs> but no, like, but Monday, those, Monday's it, national get ready to get ready day. Okay. What next Monday? <laughs> yeah. So Monday is the national get ready to get ready day. Hey, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to get started on Monday. Okay. Yeah, but no, not Monday, but next Monday. And then it's, yeah, always yeah. Next, it's like free beer tomorrow. Right. You ever see those <laughs> signs at the bar, free beer tomorrow. Um, the, uh, but my point is so you got a guy like this who maybe has like, there's a lifestyle component to this as well. I, you know, and re- maybe recalibrating on what minimum f- or maximal effective dose is, right? Um, did you think any of that type of stuff could be as part of this too? Like all the red infrared sauna is not going to replace your uh, yeah. eight hours yeah, of like, sleep. Yeah, like, uh, you know, like, uh, like let's look at the low-hanging fruit, right? right? Uh, nutrition, are you under-eating? I know the days that I under-eat are the days I feel the worst. So I, I ate breakfast before I got on the plane yesterday, flew, and then uh, went over and um, hung out and met Joel from uh, Overkill Chassis. And then like right before I went and saw Bueller at like three something, I swung by in some Hawaiian barbecue place, got some chicken and rice plate. And then as I left there, I went to uh, some other, I think it was a Black Bear Diner. and They had like a steak and egg thing. But like, as I was tallying up my, my calories, I was like, man, I was super low. And I notice it when I wake up in the morning, like I'll wake up and I'll be like, man, I didn't eat enough yesterday. And that's a very real thing for me. Um, I, I feel better in the infrared sauna, but all the infrared sauna in the world isn't going to replace sleep. So I, I went to bed last night and it was pretty funny. I went to bed pretty early and I woke up at like 4 a.m. I got up and did some work and then uh, I was like, oh, let me lay down for a little bit. I got up at like 6.15 and I was supposed to go train at like 6.30. And so I ended up getting there at seven. I was like, ah, I'll be, yeah. So um, I think at the end of the day, man, it's really hard. The low hanging fruit's always going to be nutrition, making sure you've eaten enough. Um, don't, you know, go long periods. Like for me, I'm pretty good with consistent. When I have to go long periods, it's when I think when I get beat up, um, making sure I get enough sleep. Uh, that's, man, I'll tell you this. Um, I started going to sleep when my kids went to bed. So my kids, we usually... I put my little boy down at eight and the girls go to bed at eight 30. And like, all of a sudden I'll be like looking around and be like, oh, it's like eight 45 mm-hmm. and I'll like, like go brush my teeth and start going into like the, you know, sleep ritual. And, uh, man, like the days where I can be in bed before nine o'clock and be asleep before, you know, around nine, like I wake up at 5 AM or five fifteen or whatever it is. And, uh, man, I feel great. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, like, I don't feel like I need coffee on those days. If I go to bed at like 10 or 11 or 12 and I only get like maybe five hours of good sleep, I'll wake up and be like, man, I need a coffee or, you know, I need something to kind of get me going where for the most part, if I get a bunch of sleep, like last night, I got a ton of sleep. I woke up this morning and was like, man, I feel great. Like let's go rock it. So I think that's important, but I, I think for recovery, um, you know, I've been for my shoulder rehab, I've been visiting the Arosti, uh, guy. And he does a bunch of myofascial release and man, that stuff's super painful. I feel like when I come home from that, I like, I need to sit down and, you know, cry for a little bit. So I wouldn't necessarily look at that as recovery. So it's pretty interesting that people like 
think that like some really hard deep tissue massage is going to somehow recover. I think what it does, it increases blood flow, maybe relaxes the nervous system in a few different ways, but I think there's other ways to do that too. Mm -hmm. And um, for the most part, I feel way worse when I get a massage. Like I remember I went and saw that gal Harry Shaw recommended and uh, she murdered me. I, I, she, t she called me like a month later and was like, Hey, you want to book an assignment? I'm like, no, I'm not coming back. Yeah. And then same, I've had that experience. I forget what was going on. Was it my, my foot was jamming me up or something. I don't know, but I went and uh, had like that real deep, gnarly, like, mas like uh, PT. I don't even know what the PT style is called, but it, it was just my ankle and calf, John. And like, I got done and felt like I had like had just been beaten with baseball bats all over and just had to go home and sleep. And like, Dude, that's, that's what the guy does to my shoulder at that Arosti thing. I mean, I, I go see him like, so the first time I went and saw him, it was in the afternoon. And, uh, and I was like, well, how many people you seen? He's like, Oh, I've had like 12 clients today. I was like, Oh, so I booked this 7am appointment. Dude, he brought the pain. Like I yeah. looked at him and I was like, yo man, he's like, dude, I'm fresh. He's like, he goes, dude, I, I would much rather see you in the morning. I feel like I can't give you my best at night. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go to those guys, usually go early. And, and then I tell him, I'm like, Hey man, like, um, you know, like he made an interesting point. He said, I think from the amount of trauma and also from just inflammation within your shoulder and the capsulitis and what's going on, it's like your shoulder, even though it's not a frozen shoulder is presenting like some of the issues you have. And uh, his comment was pretty good in that, you know, with this capsule and some of the issues you've had, you got to thaw it out. Frozen shoulder, you got to thaw it. And then when it starts to thaw, the ice will crack and then you'll be fine. And my comment is, is like, well, how do you do that? And he's like, well, thawing is really painful. We got to come in two days a week and I got to beat you down for about 30 minutes. And then you got to go do your rehab. You got to come back. And I'll tell you, since he started doing it, man, I, uh, I have like way more mobility in my shoulder than I've had in years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just constant battle now if um if i did not have a shoulder injury like i don't have them work on my left side right uh my you know i lift weights my left you know range of motion is fine on my other side so it just like if something is beat up or something is injured and you're limited in some way then you have to fix it to create balance there has to be homeostasis there has to be symmetry and if it doesn't then you got to find a way where I, I get nervous is, is then people get their whole body beat up like that and i just don't always know if that works it's like um, I'm not a huge fan of uh, too much stretching. Like I think if you're, you know, if something's really tight, there's a reason it's tight and just stretching it and creating an artificial, you know, stretch response and relaxing something that might be neurologically guarding from injury can I think lead to a lot of, in, uh, of more problems. Mm -hmm. um, like I, when I see all these CrossFit girls promoting everything from Ramwa to what, you know, this and doing all these elaborate stretches and these routines, I just think like, shit, you need a certain amount of um, tension and like, I mean, uh, to be able to lift heavy weights. I mean, Stu McGill, the, la the worst thing you can do if you're going to squat and pull heavy is have too much or be too lax, too much stretching. You need to have some very, very, you know, there needs to be some tension. You need to be rigid to be able to maintain position. So like when I see that, I think, man, those girls are extremely dynamic in nature, lifting heavy weights. And I think if anything, stretching way too much they're all super flexible i'm like you know what's the what what's the mode for it? what's the reasoning you know watch them stretch uh huh. do we answer that oh yeah okay so tim find out what works for you be yeah. wary well, of big the full yeah. body approach to the big takeaway too is isn't that it's Besides. bad right like 
whether it's massage or whether it's needling or whether it's any of these PT things is just understand why they're, they're, they should be appropriate. If you're burning a candle at both ends, you're not getting to sleep, you're not taking care of the low-hanging fruit, but you're still trying to keep your training volume up, then that's pro- adjusting those levers is probably more effective than d- kicking out a few hundred bucks for some of these uh, PT deals. Hacks. Right? Okay. Next training question that also has a sub-question that's going to lead us into some fun ones. These aren't fun for you? For the listeners that are not 40 years old? Mm. I don't know. I took notes. I'll revisit. Okay. John, two questions. Number one, I love Jack Street, but it feels like the calves don't get a lot of love. Is this a scientific reasoning? Question mark? Some people just have small calves. <laughs> uh, no. Um, so when you design training programs, you have to think, like I think a lot about low-hanging fruit. So what I need to do is I need to really train the big movers. So there are some certain things that are inherent within some training programs that I don't always feel that I have to program because I just kind of expect people to do this. Like, for example... Uh, if you get done training and you want to go over and I don't know, get some curls in or maybe do some tricep pushdowns or maybe go hit some banded stuff, I would firmly endorse and would recommend that people do this. Uh, I like to train calves three days a week. I do it in a bunch of different ways. A lot of it isn't necessarily written to in, into a program, but like nobody ever had to tell me to do calf raises. Nobody ever told me how to do. And even though we program arms and stuff, like if you want to do extra or if you want to hit something, uh, I just kind of assume that, you know, hey, I'm going to program the most important stuff to do because we used to do this. I used to just write all this programming and then people would be like, I can't Freak do out. all this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, dude, think about how many people we had fill out in the early days of Fieldstrong because I was writing this complete program. And uh, I was putting in warm-up sets and this and this and people were like, oh, I can't do this. I don't have, you know, uh, this is going to take me too long. And I'm like, um, Okay. So then we started pairing back the amount of training and I just kind of expected people to do it. I mean, I, I like the Johnny Bob thing just kind of happened on accident, but that was another great one where, you know, we hit calves three days a week and the Johnny Bob stuff is the extra stuff that I do on the side that I don't necessarily write a ton into all the programs. Like I don't put any like, um, you know, direct calf work into hammer, right? I just don't like, uh, we do some active foot. We focus on a lot of foot stuff, but I don't put in a ton of stuff. Because if you're looking for it, just go do Johnny Bod. It'll give you, you know, you there's an accessory day every set of the week. You get, you know, we alternate between, you know, buys, tries. We do traps, we do chests, we do calves, we do this. I mean, it kind of rotates all through. And there's, you know, three to four days of trunk work. Like I had a guy the other day who had followed Johnny Wad and then came back. And I now post a rest day video and want to have discussion. And it was like, how come there's no more trunk work on Wednesdays? And it was great because people were like, oh, it's on Johnny Bod. <laughs> Like it's, it's there. So I, I think what we have done is uh, given the minimal effective dose. And if you want to stack more stuff on, there's mm-hmm. some other things like putting Johnny Bot or Iron Flex or some of the other stuff into the program to kind of supplement that stuff. Yeah, Just because it- I don't know if, um, if you can intelligently write a program that has everything in it. And mm-hmm. I just assume if you're a dude, like if I see dumbbells, I go over and curl them. Like I was at that CrossFit gym today. I hit the assault or the echo bike. I did a bunch of my shoulder rehab. 
And I went over and like they had a whole bunch of shiny dumbbells and I just started, I just grabbed them and just started doing a bunch of hammer curls and kind of ran the rack and then got out. Like it just, I, if I see dumbbells, I'm going to do some form of curls. Yeah. And also this guy, you know, there's probably tons of dudes on Jack street that just have naturally awesome calves and they don't need that type of stuff. So no, but all in all kidding aside is you're right. The, the lowest common denominator across majority of the people that we've ever worked with have been the big lifts, John, which is why that's common in all the programs, but the accessory stuff. So this is where train heroic has come in to support this initiative, right? Is now, um, before you start your session, you can add additional training movements to your daily session, right? And you can add additional sets, which is why the initiative when we're kind of spinning this content up is to put that minimally effective dose. Now, if you're, if you've got the time, and you need bigger calves, then every day hit the little plus button, select calf raise or calf raise sequence and do anywhere from 50 to 250, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, what can you realistically, what can you tolerate? And even John, I remember, man, following Jack streets when like the, the like five by 20 would come out and you'd have us do hundred calf raises. Some people yeah. would, they couldn't walk the next day. Yep. Right. Because they just, they weren't ready for that volume. Right. And then, which is why now it's like, Hey, you know, it's kind of like pick your own adventure. If you've been doing the 20, if you've been doing 40 for the past three weeks, do 80 here. Right. So, yeah. Uh, what else we got? Segway into his second question. All right. This is a little long one, but I think it's a good one. <clears throat> you have to choose one option. Number one, there is only one kind of movie genre. Example, romantic comedy. That's what they provided. But with all different actors. Or there is all different genres of movies that you can watch, but with one actor, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. So you're, you're let's say, okay. So we, the, the question would be, we need to pick one. Which one are we doing? In what genre? Or are we just taking Stallone? Right? I feel this is what you already do. You already watch all these movie <laughs> genres with Stallone. Me? Yeah, you got comedy and tango and cash. And the one with his, with his mom. What was that one, John? Don't go uh, don't mom off the... No, don't shoot or my... Or don't, uh, don't run or my mom will shoot or something. Stop. Stop my or mom my mom will shoot. Will shoot. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's what you already do. Me? Well, well, you I don't know, even like uh, Stallone. You know, Stallone wrote and directed Staying Alive. What or do you mean? Um, you know, the uh, John Travolta movie. Sta was, no, was it Staying Alive? Or what was oh, the Saturday Night Alive? Fever. No, Staying Alive, which was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Oh, I didn't. Stallone wrote that. So, hmm. I mean, you know. So, I mean, he and Travolta. So, is that included? Is it Stallone's only acting or can he have written the movie as well? Well, he writes a lot and usually mm -hmm. acts within that. Right. I'm going to pick a genre, and it will be action-adventure, which is literally what I do. Uh, I, I, I would go genre as well. Because yeah, unless the, if, if this answer was Gerard Butler, I'd go Gerard Butler. Oh, but, uh, really? Oh, man. man. I was going to say if it was Keanu Reeves... I'm a I, I think Keanu, like I, I, uh, you could celebrate I his body of work. Uh, dude, I, re I mean, 
You want like to know the, John, the John Wick series is so good. I um I forget how good it is, and then I'm on a plane and I'm like, oh, let me watch John Wick, and I'll just like pick one of the movies. I'll be like, God damn, this is a good movie. But I did watch. Um, so have you seen the newest Terminator movie? No, not yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, dude, I liked it. I, I think, Luke, you would really like it. Uh, the um, chick who's the, the female lead in it. Uh, the antagonist. Well, um, so no there's spoilers. obviously... What's that? Well, no, there's a Terminator. Okay. And then there's a, a chick who's like an enhanced human that gets sent back to, you know, to okay. protect. And... Uh, Sarah, and then Sarah Connor's in the movie, and then Stall- or uh, Arnold's in the movie. It, it, I liked it. It was good. It, There's some good, and, like, uh, yeah. Just some of the fight scenes. So the chick who's um, uh, like sent back to like protect, you know them. Um, she's like uh, you know enhanced, like you know speed, all this, and so uh, pretty epic on her movements and like the way that they were able to like get her to move and the speed and the fighting and. You know, like it, it, it's good. Like I, I liked it. I mean, I, I remember as I was watching it, I was like, Luke would love this. No way McQuilkin would like this movie. It's on. Okay, I guess we'll watch the trailer and we'll watch the movie and just banter. The uh, can I, What are you going with? Wait, hang on. What are you? Where are you going with this? For the next movie question? No. With what you're about to say? Are we off this question? I, I think it's time because there. Here's the correct answer to have swayed me between option one and option two is if the filmography was Denzel Washington's because he has it all, man. He has all the genres that are, that I enjoy. He's in a comedy. Well, that I would enjoy. Comedy shockingly is like lower on the, the genre list for me personally. Now I, that's not to say I don't like comedies, but if I'm going to browse movies by genre, very rarely do I start with comedy. Interesting. It is. Well, speaking of action-adventure films, <laughs> we got a great question, John. You've been given the role of casting Expendables 5. Who would you add to this already all-star ensemble? Denzel. <laughs> yeah, I think we've already answered. Yeah, um, no, I, I think John, I think uh, Keanu or uh, Denzel Washington. Well, I'm going Gerard Butler. Oh, my God. What about uh, um, is is uh, do any of the Mar- see? That's the thing about the Marvel stuff. Like, you don't know because they're they're not action stars. Yeah, they're like, yeah. The um, who's the guy that plays the Falcon, the black dude? Oh, uh, I know. Like, I know I, the character. Yeah, he him up he text? had a re- uh, he had a really good like. Q and A session at one of the at, at one of the comic cons or you know one of their deals, and they asked him like um, you know do you like you know do you like the movies do you like this and like you know uh, and he was like you know people would go back in the day people would go see a movie because Stallone was in the movie. There's no more action stars anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, now people go and they see the Black Widow movie. They're not going to see the Scar you know Scarlett Johansson movie. And he's like, we've really gotten away from this idea of like, there's no more movie stars. And he goes, you know, and they asked him like, well, did you take your kids to the, to see Avengers? And he's like, no, it's like $40 a ticket. I got like a gang of kids. He's like, what am I going to go spend like $500 <laughs> to take him this thing? And he's like, ah, you know, but if it was, uh, 
you know, like I would rather go home and watch it and, you know, and he just had this really interesting perspective on the way that not only are they writing movies, but the way that they're casting and the way they did. And he goes, you know, really just seeing the death of the movie star. Uh, but through things like Netflix and these, and these streaming deals, they are fighting for this. Like, like uh, the amount of different movies, like they, like there's a whole Jason Momoa genre on Netflix. He's got all these like cool, like series and things that he's done. I'm like, God, this is so cool. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started watching a couple of them and, uh, it's, it, it's, it's neat because it allows them to develop a story over the course of time. Like it's, it's kind of like with, um, you know, the Lord of the Rings, how they had, you know, the three, the, the trilogy, which now if they were going to come out with the Lord of the Rings, think how cool it would have been to have Lord of the Rings, like, uh, uh, Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you know, whereas instead of three movies, yeah, like three seasons. Like, yeah they, the, I mean, they, they're actually they, doing they, that. They could have had the most epic. Now I like Viggo Mortensen. Uh, I don't know if him as the Ranger was really the best character to type in there. Um, but uh, based upon having read all Tol- uh, Tolkien's books. So, I mean, there was some stupid, but I, like, I still love the Lord of the Rings is one of my favorites, but like there was cinema in that. I just, and, and you know, Scorsese and uh, uh, I think it was Martin Scorsese was like, you know, these movies are awful. This isn't movies. This isn't cinema. This is uh dribble. And people were all butthurt about it. And I'm like, well, you know what? Like, um, you know, the story is, is so over glamour, you know, glammed and this, and it's just, but I think, you know, people love that stuff. So, the, you know, my kids love it. And I, I mean, it, it's entertainment. I don't know if it's going to, I mean, like, like think about movies as like um, the ability to say something through a story for a social message, um, you know, like go back as far as you know uh, to kill a mockingbird with atticus finch in that movie i mean we read the book but like that idea and then uh, um you know you fast forward to like um you know that matthew mcconaughey movie called the time to kill you remember with um samuel l jackson which San- was very sandra bullock and sandra bullock very similar in nature uh, a few good men i mean all of these movies that like have some social issue that they tackle from this perspective that are extremely impactful shawshank redemption i mean you know which is uh the count of monte cristo you know um so those ability to tell a story and discuss a social issue and uh you know have something be not only gripping but you know really just super impactful and then you hear you know uh um you know common lines from the movie just weaved into the fabric of our daily conversations you know like you hear me use it all the time you know training is a the science of pressure and time just like geology you know like i I use all these shawshank uh uh, shawshank redemption deals and Mm -hmm. um like i think what we've lost a little bit with some of this uh and i i believe me i'm a huge fan of the marvel universe and all they've done i think the movies are extremely entertaining but they're not I just don't know if they're going to weave maybe uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, as Iron Man because they allowed him to really play himself, which I think is pretty interesting. And really like Tony Stewart or sorry, uh, Tony Stark. Um, I think his character more than any other character was by far the most interesting because it was the most dynamic. He wrestled with this like narcissism, but this greater feeling and here and his father, they did a lot of work to really develop his character, but he was the first movie. So I'm 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 excited to go see Black Widow and see Scarlett Johansson's movie. I mean, Do you I'll, think? I'm, and I'll go support him. Here's an optimistic view. That's uncommon for me. Do you think that this? Because the reason that 
these movies have become the focal point of cinema, we'll use air quotes there, is because they they translate across various cultures. There's the hero, there's the bad guy. Uh, it's flashy. They, there's, they can go in every direction, just like a comic book. Like the, the old, like you can have multiple universes, it's acceptable, right? So there's opportunity here to continue to scale and it becomes the most profitable. But does this, like it has certainly cannibalized some of the smaller productions Tex, you and I have talked about this, right? But does it also raise the bar for those types of filmmakers that if they want to come in and provide something, it's got to be good. Good enough to peel away some of these highly paid actors and actresses from this cash cow to come and entice them to do a different type of movie. And then ultimately, we get higher quality productions in those genres. Yeah, but I mean, so... Like, think about this. Um, probably one of the greatest movies ever, ever, ever to come out, and I think still to this day you could hold it up to the gold standard, is the movie Heat. Michael Mann went and did ride-alongs for seven months with the LAPD. He, he put those actors into training for three months with weapons. Um, he had them, uh, they were uh, apprenticed and not only like... Um, they hired, you know, ex thieves, guys that were bank robbers to come in and mentor these guys. And they, they made them go case banks, uh, and not get caught like the amount of work. And then he, he, uh, they wouldn't film like the, you know, the big finale when they're on the street, you know, shooting and battling the cops, they wouldn't let that sh- uh, be shot on a soundstage. So they, it took months to produce it because they could only shoot on the weekends when they could close the streets down in LA. Uh, the uh, the U.S. Marines and the U.S. military show clips of heat as a way to uh, uh, you know cover when retreating fire. How to like you know um, they showed you know Val Kilmer's mag reload when he was under fire and stress. I mean like the lines from the movie Heat. Um, you know uh, the you know you know don't get so attached that when you feel the heat, you know around the corner you can't walk out on it in thirty seconds. I mean that type of stuff. I mean the just the, the cinema uh, investment on the front end in terms of developing those guys to get them to that place. I mean, to me, like, I, like there probably isn't a better movie than Heat. Uh, I like, I mean, I love, you know, Chuck Palahniuk and uh, Palahniuk uh, Fight Club just because, you know, like to me, like when that movie came out, it was so impactful. But I just remember seeing Heat come out and Heat, I think, came out like, I think right around maybe a year before Fight Club, and I remember seeing Heat in the movie theaters and just being like, uh, like the action, and just unbelievable to see those guys work and the way the whole thing, you know, the stories and the fences, you know, and uh, you know these guys and the crew they put together and how they get tipped off on the cops. And the first time you see De Niro and um, um, Pacino, um, Pacino on screen together, and Pacino's character, which is so gritty. You know, and the ex-wife and the kid and this. I mean, just so many storylines weaved into it. And uh, just to this day, I, I have not seen anything approach it in terms of not, not only the action, but the feel and the authentic, authenticity. Mm-hmm. Like, or is some, you know, and I, while I enjoy Iron Man and these movies and the superhero deal, is somebody going to be like, Avengers Endgame is in the same discussion as the movie Heat? No. Like, I, it's, it's just it, you know and like they they're making movies for like 
you know, for the people that want to see him. But I think, you know, does a movie like Heat get made today? And I, I think we're, you know. Somebody has got to want to, like, dethrone that. Is well, my point, right? Well, but, but you're right, is. John. Like the amount of investment, you're realistically well, not recouping that when you're battling with box uh, box office giants, right? So yeah. then you can't recoup that in time and investment when you can make something for half the price with half the budget and five to ten to twenty x the profitability. It'd be uh, a hard case to pitch to a studio. I love The Rock. I think The Rock is an amazing human being and all he does and his energy and this, and I can't wait to try his tequila. Um, the tres manos, mm-hmm. um, a bottle every morning to get me ready. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to try it. Um, but seeing like a movie like Hobbs and Shaw and like, like it just like, I, I so want the rock to like, do something of quality that isn't like him on the back of a truck being lifted by a helicopter, you know, and this whole, like, it just, to me, it's just, uh, it's, um, it's like, it's like a boy band. It's like bubblegum, you know, like it'd be not like, I mean, how great would it be if you saw the rock in something like, like heat? I mean, he did some stuff like that. Like I love what he did. Um, be cool. uh, yeah, well be cool, but also like get shorty. Uh, I thought he was great in, um, uh, what was the movie with with Mark Wahlberg where they were like the dumbass Jim uh, guys pain and gain? Like, I think he's better in that stuff, but unfortunately, people want to see him in uh, Jumanji and these superhero kind of things. Where if I was him, I'd pivot it and I would do nothing but like mm-hmm. incredible. Like he's he's going to do he DC a, Black, Black, uh, Black Adam. He did a he but, did an action drama um, about a, like I think his son's kidnapped or daughter or something like that. And he said, "Do you know what movie I'm talking about?" It wasn't. It wasn't bad. Like I liked it, and I, like you got to start somewhere with that stuff, you know. And it, it, um, I mean, his acting skill is certainly increasing. If yeah, we were yeah. watching and following. Well, did wait? Hang on. Did you see the new Jumanji, John? Uh, I have not. So, like that. There's one where he steps out of being the rock character, and he's playing Danny DeVito, right? And uh, I, yeah, I, I saw the the first one. I haven't seen the second one. Yeah. So I, I think my from initial feedback is that he did really good on I that. I haven't seen it. So yeah, no, I, I I think he's a stud. I think he's a great actor. I just I I think I think for for actors to really solidify themselves in uh, as as stars, I think they have to do something really memorable. You know, like Val Val Kilmer has just become kind of creepy now, but like seeing him as Jim Morrison, where he embodies the Lizard King, and like was seamless. So um, you know, and and having people that knew Jim Morrison see that movie and be like he somehow channeled him like to me that's like like a heat was like that i mean there's a lot of good movies so i um yeah i mean i'm I'm, and i've always been a brad pitt fan i mean anything brad pitt does i'm 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 in i mean like everything from like fight club doing glorious bastards like him is as aldo reigns like that to me is a memorable performance to the point where like the quotes out of inglorious bastards uh like never ending Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think Brad Pitt's done some, I mean, and even some of the earlier stuff, like well, 12 uh, monkeys, meet Joe black, man. There's like, he has, I some love really, Joe black. In, yeah. Like some really interesting range. And this is one of Texas, uh, Tex and I talk movies and John, I mean, we just talk movies a lot offline, but like, that's one of your standing points, right? Is he's 
Oh, he's a character actor that's unfortunately so hot. Too pretty. <laughs> <laughs> he's just such a hot guy. He doesn't get the credit he gets. Like, like if you, but like you look at Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's like not the most attractive. Like you, you put that specimen next to Brad Pitt, but it's similar range, right? And people have like coined Philip Seymour Hoffman as a character actor of his de- his era. No, Brad Brad Pitt's unbelievable. I but, I, I think part of the problem though is uh you know the whole Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing kind of fucked him. Yeah, the, you know? the mm-hmm. but he's I yeah. wouldn't say he's it's unrecoverable. No. Uh but you know he's he's not getting into that genre of kind of shoot 'em up action kind of, you know, stupid car chases and stupid one liners. He chooses kind of. not to cuz he goes after characters and he's in this position of power in which he can yeah. choose what he wants to do. 100% Estrada was was legit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean I I Huge Brad Pitt fan. I think he is unbelievable. So I, to, I always... to, to highlight earlier discussion and it tying in the Brad Pitt, there's guys that are getting that have a reputation or in a position of power where they just fund their own projects mm-hmm. and highlighting Edward Norton in his latest one. That's right. So it's called Motherless Brooklyn. And so he, well, he... the reason is, is nobody wants to work with Edward Norton well, because I'm he is such a difficult actor example, to work with. Okay, but now he's in a position to fund his own projects and pay his own people and put his own skin in the game to create sure. mm-hmm. a project in which he believes in versus pitching and selling to whomever. Mm-hmm. Sure. What else we got, McQuoken? We can go down that rabbit hole. All well, we have to yes. a- answer this question mm-hmm. because this it better was be touched what I think on. It is. it is. Is it? This was touched on. So, John, I don't know if you've seen this, but over the weekend, a new movie trailer was released no i haven't seen this what for fast and the furious oh god i did see the trailer niner Uh, it's got that live my cool life a quarter mile at a time it's got that big dude uh that martin with all the head tattoos it's got him and it's got john cena they're pulling cena into the Mm -hmm. into fast nine what not only pulling him in he is a toretto he's a toretto Wait, what's this? He's Dom's brother. Dom has a brother? Exactly. Yeah. It took us 15 <laughs> hours of film to, to learn about a brother. This soap opera is getting ridiculous. Where, where, where did he... Uh, was this like the long-lost brother he never knew about? Well, here's a text. Isn't it... Did you say it? Like, they dropped like six bombs. Like, just six bombshell plot points in the, um, in the trailer. Like, what are they hiding behind this movie if they have the confidence to drop these bombs? Oh, exactly. So I, I have not seen Hobbs and Shaw, but I, it's basically the same preview of they give away all this ridiculous action shots, and I'm left wondering, as a spectator, how more ridiculous can you get? And I guarantee... A lot. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, Hobbs and Shaw, what they showed you was uh, like a very small amount of the ridiculousness. Exactly. Like I saw it and I was like, wow. And then like, you know, you get in there and you're like, well, that's John there. Tyrese. Tyrese is required to drive a Pontiac Fiero with a jet engine on it. Like I find that more believable than the a- next scene where they go off the bridge or they're driving up a falling rope bridge <laughs> in a car. <laughs> like, you know, like a rope between the, like t- a Canyon in a jungle. Oh, I, I get it. Like driving up a rope bridge. John, you got to watch this. And then there's a scene. I, I, the, the final scene. I can't watch it. 
There's okay. Well, I'll tell you about this part. I'm not that one. But there's oh. a scene where Dom falls out of a building. Letty catches him with a car going, you know, 90. So he stands up on the car, but that car is being chased by another car. So he's standing on the car. Letty power slides to a stop. The car chasing him starts barrel rolling, and then he somehow stops the car from on top of the car from hitting the car with his bare hands. So this is Dom Toretto. Honestly, just so, waiting until they jump the car and go to space. Like, <laughs> Well, I'm waiting for them to like jump off of a tall building and like do like the superhero landing with like the knee down, you know? Mm-hmm. Superhero landing. Superhero landing. Yeah. No, well, they're just one step short of that because the... the should we give John the final scene? <sighs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't care about spoilers. You, you guys no, are all not, into this. I could care less. Well, it's hard to explain. You have to kind of see how, it. But, okay. but, but wait a minute. After so the all first, they've been through, how do you know you don't have a brother? So the first car driving up the rope bridge, the bridge is now down. But then what's... Oh, no, no, no. It was the stealth bomber that magnets John Cena's car to safety. Well, because he drives it off of a cliff. So they drive it off of a cliff, but then the stealth bomber comes down and accurately magnet. timed by Charlize Theron and with a bowl cut like Harry. Uh... Wait a minute, a stealth bomber is able to float? Yeah, so this one was no. It was perfectly timed, going six. But it has clicks. a magnet catcher. Oh, it magneted, okay. it magneted the car up. Uh, very complicated do technology. You, do, you, do you think the people writing this are like? Let's just figure out the most ridiculous things that we can say and do. I think so, because here's what happens next. Dom does not yield from John Cena ramping off of the cliff. He and Letty are racing down, like, no brake pedal. Basically, all skinny pedal, nozzing it up with the new Nas lever thing. And she's like, uh, Dom, what are we going to do? And what he ends up doing is crashing into, like... The, a bridge post that's... A bridge post from the rope bridge but perfectly so that it wraps around front driver's side wheel end and then ultimately does like a big rope swing with the car across the canyon. And then we don't know what happens after that. But well, I'm oh, assuming no, we he know lands what happens. <laughs> They've already announced Fast 10, so they make oh, it. Oh, God damn it. You got to um, watch it. I'll tell you, uh, who's ever doing this is killing the idea of cinema or they've created their own genre of what mm-hmm. we're going to call like, like, you know how there's action adventure and rom-coms and all this. It's going to be called like, well, like it's like, it's almost like mockumentary. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah you know, like, it, you know yeah, the mockumentary, like the yeah. office where it's like, you're mock, like they're yeah. mocking, but the, you, the person who started they're mocking themselves. Yeah. And I think they unintentionally started this and then who took it off was the expendables. And then that became successful. And then they're like, well, why don't we just turn it all up? Like, Take take it all to eleven. Well, and that's what they're well, doing. Well, you know, uh, uh, Vin are, Diesel. I think Vin Diesel still owns the the series. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He and does. and and I know that like he and The Rock had a huge falling out, so that was like the Hobbs and Shaw thing. Mm-hmm. So I think what he's doing is he saw Hobbs and Shaw, and was like, I need something more ridiculous and mm-hmm. over the top than Hobbs and Shaw. So yeah. they did this it. is this they did it. And and then you know what? And then the rock's gonna be like, man, we gotta do something a little more over the top. But I'll tell you, like, I personally like Vin Diesel's like um uh pitch black mm-hmm. and uh, uh Riddick in those movies. I, I like I I like ridiculousness 
in like a future alternate world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like, like sci-fi yeah. though, right? Like yeah, sci-fi yeah, the, action type stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with sci-fi action because, you know, they're not on Earth. They're in a special Earth. They're in some other weird place. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, Furians and the whole deal. But then all of a sudden when you get in this situation where like, you know, like the rock is hitting a dude in the face with like a 50 pound wrench, like hits him across, like slaps him across the face and the dude gets up and you're like, that would have not only taken the dude's head off, but at the very least removed his jaw from his body and mm-hmm. killed him. And mm-hmm. they're like hitting these dudes. And I'm like, how are these guys like, Ugh. it's like, to me, that's, that's the hard part. Right. And then even like in the Marvel or superhero universe, these people are, you know, mutants or aliens or something like that. So it makes sense. And with the, with the, the amount of logic you want to throw behind it, you have that gray area and that buffer to do some of these things. But now, you know, if you go back and rewatch Fast and Furious, the very first one. Which we did. And they're just normal people, right? Like, yeah. And it's really good. I'm admitting it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? The original movie is really pretty good, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and, and I'll tell you, there's quotes in there. Like, yeah. you, know, to, you know, what is it? Tuna on wheat? Nobody likes the tuna on wheat. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole thing, or you can have any. How's the tuna? <laughs> yeah. yeah like, no one and, likes the tuna. Yeah. Yep. Oh, there's, uh, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of like good stuff in that movie. And it was kind of like street racers in here. And, you know, uh, what was the, what was the race? Race wars. You know, mm-hmm. you know we're going to. Johnny you know, Chan. And like yeah. some rising stars, something that hadn't been done before, you know, some failed, uh, failed attempted deliveries. The, uh, the ridiculous nods to Point Break in yeah. which it just stole everything. Yeah. But it pays homage. So, you know, you know, double clutching, not granny or granny shifting, dude, not double clutching like that Yada. That scene is so <laughs> awesome. And it like, well, like, and you remember, I like watching it thinking, I don't, I don't know what granny shifting is. And double clutching, I know, comes from semis. Yeah. Where you got to put clutches. the clutch in, yeah. shift into neutral, take the clutch out, put the clutch back in and shift. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know who, I, I don't even know. Like, and the best part is, is everybody was confused. I thought it was just me that I didn't know some lingo. And then I like, I looked and everybody's like, no, no, like they, the people writing it didn't know shit about cars. No, man, I like I'm flashing back to working at Navistar and on like car street racer forums reading what what's granny shifting. I want to make sure I don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why is he double clutching? Like, that's insane to me. Uh, we have uh, I mean, the, the reason that, uh, you know, we have uh, um, maybe there's something we don't know. Synchronized like, transmissions, you know, like mm-hmm. transmissions that don't have synchros. You got to put the clutch in to get everything stopped and then you shift into neutral and you put it back. So it's like, dude, like that. Yeah. Maybe it's street racer lingo that it's so underground, John, we don't know. So if any of you out yeah. there knows what Dom means by double clutching, please send it to Cali, C-A-L-I at powerathletehq.com. And granny shifting. We don't know what granny shifting is. I, it's got to just be shifting slow. Like uh, like he's not power shifting where you just keep your foot on the accelerator and you don't even put your foot on the clutch. You just jam the transmission into gear. Yeah, yeah. That's not granny. Maybe he was saying that like he driving normal in terms yeah. of using a clutch is granny shifting. Yeah, because you're like, so, if you're, yeah, you're just letting that flywheels drop, revs drop, and then. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when it peaks, you, you basically shit, put it into gear, and you don't use the clutch. And, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, um, 
I uh, unfortunately have driven that way many times, but not for the reason you think. It's because uh, I broke my clutch pedal. <laughs> and uh, as I was driving, had no way to stop because mm -hmm. if I stop, the car is going to uh, stall. So you just kind of like, well, I'm just going to go as long as I can yeah. until this until I got to stop and then it'll stall. Yeah. And then the car, yeah. you're like, kum, kum, kum. but mm -hmm. yeah, then at that point, you just, ah, right when you hear it peak, you just shift it into gear. So, yeah, so, yeah. You jam it in and know you're going to blow up your transmission. <sighs> What else, big guy? Well, Johnny Bod is currently leaning hard on the Power Rangers. So <laughs> I think John has been watching Power Rangers with the kids. <laughs> the question here, John. How do, uh, how do people know it's Power Rangers? I was wondering what those cycles were, man. I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, so, we sit down and do review. Okay. So what I do, and, and I'll just give you a hint is uh like when i'm working on it i'll usually wait like uh like let's say it loads on saturday or you know whatever it is and so i've been sitting down and the kids are watching like cashy is now obsessed with power rangers so uh what i'll like i'll like listen to the names and be like oh that's a good one and i just started adding power rangers names before it was like it's been uh, superheroes uh it's usually villains um i i i haven't got into uh, or maybe I did get into like the whole like because um, the kids were watching Flash, so they've been watching the Flash a bunch. So I I gotta like that's the next one I'll, I'll get into all the villains or maybe I have on the Flash. But uh, yeah, man, they they were they have been obsessed with Power Rangers. Uh, it's uh, Power Rangers Ninja Steel, and I like I I hear it in the background and I like listen to these names and the power. Like I'll tell you this in terms of sin or um, ridiculousness. The Power Rangers are incredible because the bad guys have these elaborate costumes that are like the craziest costumes. And they'll like be in a park with these crazy costumes, like battling these dudes. I think it's hilarious. And and, is, um, it, are you, is it the original from when like... No, what they've done they've is just they've, rebooted? Uh, they've had like new, like a bunch of new seasons and they'll be like, you know, so like as the Power Rangers age out, like a new group of high school kids become Power Rangers. And then they'll bring them back. And then they had like the Ninja Steel is like the next one. And that just got canceled. They started another one. And it's like a franchise. But um, I don't know where Cashy found it. But all of a sudden, man, like we were like, you want to watch Power Rangers? I'm like, yeah, let's watch some Power Rangers. I haven't seen that forever. And, you know, oh, it was all the Voltron. So mm -hmm. we were watching a bunch of Voltron. Uh, so like if the kids get up pretty early, they can go to the TV and watch whatever they want. The first one there. So what they'll do is they like all try to sneak out, but Cash is pretty good. He'll get out there and he'll camp on like Power Rangers and uh, Fultron and all this stuff. And then I'll get up and either, you know, go work out or I'll work on the computer. And it's usually when I wait to to program Johnny Bod when uh, Cashy is watching one of his shows and I'll just kind of pull the names of the villains. So this leads us to our question from El Monstro Baby. What Saturday morning cartoons or after-school cartoons did y'all watch growing up? Uh, uh, I, I liked Voltron. Voltron was big. Uh, I did like G.I. Joe. Transformers, G.I. Joe. Transformers. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Big into that. Um, I, I'm trying to, like, I can't remember the shows, but I remember having the toys. You know what I mean? Like, oh, Thundercats. Oh, Thundercats. Thundercats uh -huh. was a good one. Uh, what else did I have? 
is it possible there was a Rambo cartoon? I don't know. I think it was G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. I just always remember, and knowing is half the battle. <laughs> that's right. I, that's where I learned how to stop the bloody nose. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I definitely At, liked uh, Luke, like Luke, there that. was, in 1986, a Rambo cartoon. So that would have, oh, I would wow. have been four years old. I, I, I know I had to have watched that. I, Looney Tunes, I remember watching. Because uh, there's like the, the headband tie, right? Like that's like part of the intro, maybe? Uh, well, the intro is on YouTube. Hmm. I'll have to go back. It's pretty and watch funny. It. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what probably happened is people are seeing the names, these crazy ass names I'm posting of the daily workouts. And they're probably just like typing them into Google and being like, Power, Power Rangers? Rangers? <laughs> Voltron? Um, I remember that. Uh, they're called like, I think they're called, I forget what the bad guys in Voltron are called. They're called like Robies. So like the bad guys are Robies. Robies. B-E-A-S-T. Beast. Um, so like I went through and like mined all the Voltron names. Uh, we've done Greek gods. We've done... Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we've done. Surprisingly, I, don't, I haven't put any of the bad guys from Arrow because they're all de- it's all the uh, the CW stuff. <laughs> I, I I can't believe it. The Arrow got canceled. Thank God. We can't I believe eight, it. Eight, eight seasons. It's awful. I uh, I watched like the first four and then I realized that they. I thought it was canceled. I'm like, there's eight seasons of this nonsense. What about you, McQuoken? All, all in on Ninja Turtles. Yeah. That was probably it. And then probably my tail end was the when Power Rangers got hot. It was like second or third grade and then just got out and into sports. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you ask my parents, Ninja Turtles or sisters, all in. Yeah. And that was like, that was one of the biggest like toy all franchises of all Everything. time. Is it like that, that that whole thing was masterminded to sell toys it wasn't even meant to be like a a a movie or cinema or like show they just wanted to sell toys it was pretty interesting i I watched a little documentary on it on netflix i think so cashy likes um we he watched uh or he watches ninja turtles and he likes the cartoon i tried to actually get him to watch the ninja turtle movie and he's like this is scary Mm -hmm. and i'm like yeah because there's like a rat talking like i am mr splinter aka yeah, the, Rafael Ruiz um that's where we I'll got put, the whole there, I did watch the Batman cartoon in the 90s and that was legit Mark, oh, yeah, Mark yeah, Hamill watched, was yeah. the Joker I can't tell you anything about it except like you put no, effort I towards watch that. timing it up to watch that and then there was an X-Men cartoon definitely watch that too uh, yeah mm-hmm. Whew, going back. wild and then that so that movie that Ninja Turtles movie was I guess the guy, there's some drama behind that in the franchise. They're like, we do not want this being aired. Like, this is not like, cause it's a children's movie or, or show. Yeah. Right. And then like, it is a bit edgy it's, for a live action version of it. Right. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's totally dark. And, uh, yeah. but it crushed it. Like it crushed it worldwide. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things is like, uh, so the, they, the, stu- the franchise ended up, not buying into it and then the guy did it like got it funded in privately and made a ton of money on it or something like that so but <clears throat> what else we got McQuoken anything else Swayze so somebody asked and we did have a point break tie in Swayze and point break or Swayze and Roadhouse just for what like do I am I am I entering into like a hetero life partnership 
where we're going to go slay? Am I forced to like what's marry him? Fight? Yeah. Who would you rather fight? If I were female, who would I fall in love with? Oh, is it a fight? Who would I want to fight? I'm just taking it next. I need to know, man. I need to. Dude, know I what totally they... fight Bodie. I think I could take Bodie. He's a skinny surfer. Mm-hmm. No yeah, hippie roadhouse. No way. I'm telling Dalton. Well, he would hit in the knees. You know. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, paint don't hurt him. Just in general, favorite character. Man, I, this is hard. This is a hard question. Well, I'm going Roadhouse. Obviously. I thought you'd be bigger. Mm-hmm. Be nice. Haha, mm-hmm. <laughs> never heard that before. I think... Um, I like when he's hooking up with the chick in the storeroom, and he's like, you're fired. He's like, I'm on my break. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that was like <laughs> the best. <laughs> you know, each... Uh, each Swayze character here serves a higher purpose, right? And that's what makes this so, so hard. They're selfless characters trying to make the world a better place in their own, in their own ways. One skirting the law, the other's straight down the center. It's the classic well, no, tale of the yin and the yang. There's no cops in the double deuce town. Mm-hmm. So he's got to do frontier justice. Right. Well, I there mean, is a cop. But the one crooked. guy who's the... Sh- well, no, no, he's the sheriff. You remember, like, the old guys are all, like, uh, uh, pushed into, you know, being that little collective with Brad Gilbert or whatever the guy's name is. Brad Wesley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, like, one of the guys is red at the auto parts store, and then there's the other dude who owns a car dealership, and then there's the sheriff, and then one other dude. Mm-hmm. But they get run out of town. No, right? but then, no, they're, like, Brad Wesley owns all those guys, so he owns the sheriff. Right, right. And then he... uh Remember, they all get together and they pump a couple shots into him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Bodie. Well, that's very California of you. Mm-hmm. And I knew you would say that, but <laughs> um, it's mostly about the risk. I like the element of risk associated with it. And I'm taking this on as also a hetero life partner. Lens. Roommate. Yeah. Bodie. All day. No. Dalton. Roommate. A shocker. What about you, John? I'll You're... go with Bodie. See? There's a couple California boys over here. Starting fires and riots. Yeah. I'm, Some I'm people in... just want to see the world burn, Tex. I'm empowering my community. Ninja Steel. <laughs> All right. Final question, and we got to close it out on a football question. <clears throat> if Power Athlete bought an NFL team, mm-hmm. we're almost there. Yeah. Who would you hire as a coach? And sub-question, who would your decision be to start and build your team around? A quarterback or defense? Let me think on this. Uh, so for reference, the, 40, the 49ers front four defensive line, all their first-round picks. So they went defense, build, build. I think you – the key players, I think, you need, you need a badass offensive tackle. So you, you got to have a badass offensive tackle. You got to go either draft a guy or you got to go out in free agency and have some tackle, uh, some guy who like sets the tempo for the offensive line, who creates a high standard. I think you have to have a good quarterback, somebody who is um, – I would rather have uh, a guy who is a leader and a likable person with less talent than somebody who was kind of prickly with more talent. I think you got to have somebody that people rally behind and people want to play good for. Um 
I think you got to have uh, a clutch tight end, somebody that can go across the middle and catch that, you know, third and five and be able to bring that in. I think on the defense, you got to have a pass rusher and you have to have somebody who, what I call the, uh, the, 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 the straw, the straw that serves to drink. It can either usually be a safety. It could be a linebacker. Uh, it can sometimes be um, a defensive end or a backer or something. You have to have somebody that can rush the passer and you got to have somebody on the defense that gets everybody whipped into a frenzy and headed in the right direction. And then uh, you got to invest or find somebody that has the type of speed on the outside in terms of receiver. He might not be the best, but as long as he's fast enough where people can't play man to man and they got to get in the zone and then you can pick apart the zones, I think you're pretty good. Um, I'll tell you this, uh, the guy that I really liked is a head coach who didn't do well in his first outing, but ended up being the defensive coordinator for the chiefs and win the super bowl, Steve Spagnola. So I always really liked Spags. He was our DBs coach when I was in Philly and re- I always really liked him. And, uh, I, I thought he called a hell of a game. I thought as well as Mahomes and the offense played and the chiefs did great. I think the chiefs defense was the unsung hero of that thing. I mean, they didn't miss tackles. They were hitting guys. They put a ton of pressure on them. Um, I really liked how Spags called that game. I thought he did a good job. So uh, I like Spags as a, as a head coach. Um, I, I'm really interested in uh, Dallas hiring McCarthy because I, I, I always really liked McCarthy. Uh, you know, comes out of the, you know, the Mike Holmgren, Andy Reid, kind of that tree. And, you know, had a ton of success with Aaron Rodgers. And now they're going to bring him into Dallas. And to me, I think that's such an interesting situation with uh, Jerry Jones and I'm not a Dak, Dak Prescott fan. And, you know, there's a guy that helped develop Aaron Rodgers, So I see them making some moves, but I would definitely like a guy like Spags. I think um, for the most part, if you look at the NFL, the guys who are offensive coordinators or who have offensive minds as head coaches tend to do very well other than Belichick. Belichick was a defensive guy and he's always kind of gone in that direction. But, you know, Andy Reid's an offensive guy, you know, Shanahan's an offensive guy. Uh, but I always really liked head coaches that have, uh, you know, uh, kind of a defensive persona because I think it sets a tempo. Mm-hmm. That, that was one thing I noticed uh, is how hard Kansas City was bringing that rush in the last mm. couple drives to just yeah. to like, yeah, they were, I don't know, it, send a message, reminded, right? Like it, it reminded me of Jim Johnson, who since passed away, who was our defensive coordinator for the, the Eagles. Jim Johnson was like old and salty. And he had this thing where um, casino meant you're bringing the house. Uh, you're going to bring one more than they could block. And he'd be like, he'd be down there screaming on the sideline, fucking casino, casino their ass. And he knew that they, if we got burned, whatever it is, but we were going to hit the quarterback and put him on his ass. Mm-hmm. And he would get in meetings and be like, we're going to casino them, and somebody has to put the quarterback on his ass. We're going to get burned, but we're going to burn them before they burn us. Mm-hmm. And I think that mindset is really good. And then um, what, like, does that send a message to the offense as well when you have a defensive coordinator like that? I think so. Uh, but like, if, you know, same team offense, like the problem though, the problem though, is if you have a defensive coordinator and they just stack defensive players and they don't give the offense much, but if you have a defensive coordinator, like type coach, like a guy like a Belichick or whatever, but he invests a lot into his offense, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty good. I, I, I think you get a good, good, good rate of return on that. But I thought Spags did a great job. Mm-hmm. So, well, I think that's it for today. Ladies and gentlemen, we got one more. No, no, nope. shut it down. You got anything for us, big guy? No, I got to go before these dudes kick the door in on me. (laughs) All right, man.
Well, John, thanks for joining us today on the Premier Podcast and Strength and Conditioning. Ing. He's holding out. <laughs> He's holding out. Ice cold. And thank you, Power Athlete Nation. Um, I think that's I'm all out. for today. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. If you're listening to this, you are officially 100 years old. Thank you for making it through that whole episode because I have a very important message for you. A reminder, please head to our Instagram page at Power Athlete HQ and click the link in our bio. There you will find a very sick shirt that we have partnered with and developed to bring relief funding to the families of Australia who have lost so much in these devastating fires. Not only is the shirt cool, and I know you guys like buying merch because our shirts are always awesome, but it's going to go to a fantastic cause that we're very proud to be a part of. You can also find the link in our show notes if you're one of the, I don't know, three people that go to this blog. Until next time, bye!